0: You have a very special nature. When we worked hard together to unlock. Black, Chi, Is it fair? You serve more than the white Americans that sent you here. Think flash, like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. <laughs> he
1: would kill a sisters in jail. She'll never know. Oh! Nobody.
0: I'll kill every single one of you, white right, motherfuckers! Oh, no! snitches get stitches! Oh out. Everything's gonna be A-OK.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: Come, come check out the sleaze. <laughs> we decide
1: on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we are approaching three years yeah. of bonus Jesus. episodes. Some, like, 70-plus bonus uh, episodes as well as like t- almost 20 plus bonus transmissions where we talk about new release films. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't made the jump yet, uh, I would definitely take a look over at that slash sleezoids podcast. And speaking of which, we did have a lot of people make the jump awesome. this week. So we're going to give them their shout outs. We have uh, Wyatt Duncan, Corey Donovan, Christian B., James Barnett. Austin uh, Jay, who actually pledged at the uh, $10 a month, who's going to be joining oh, us nice. for this month's um, uh, virtual screening that we do with the $10 patrons, which has been a lot of fun lately. Yeah, a lot I more people that. hanging out in there with us. Um, Lance Garrison. Uh, Bradley V., who actually upgraded from 5 to $10 as well for this month, so he'll be joining us well. Can't wait to see you guys. Sweet. Uh, we also have Alec Nelson, uh, Mark brinton yoshi hewitt jj henderson um sean barrett adam hoopsher amanda krupp and that's everyone
0: awesome thank you so much so much
1: for becoming patrons hope you guys are all enjoying the uh bonus episodes and all the bonus uh content and i hope you guys enjoyed me trying to pronounce your names which is uh, what the (laughs) section of the show is now always a good time (laughs) Uh, But that's the one, folks, for the week. The other plug, as always, is uh, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, and I know that you are, I see the stats. I see you right now. You think I don't see you, but I do. (laughs) Uh,
0: We're looking right at
1: you. Scroll down to the bottom uh, of your app while you're listening to this exact episode and give us a good old rating and review down there. It helps us climb the ranks over at iTunes and helps us find uh, new listeners yes uh, and also the new plug uh we've got merch Slezoids. merch if you we guys are doing like it. the the logo art uh poster art that trevor henderson did for us that we use for the show you can yeah. now put that on anything you want mugs uh, uh hoodies shirts notepads some, someone bought a pillow
0: yes yeah, sleep <laughs> on our brand baby <laughs> uh, well, don't sleep find, on it P- pick up some
1: stuff <laughs> you can find uh the link to all of our merch in the description of this episode or also on on the website at sleazoidspodcast.com oh yeah um getting real official around here it's been weird man this is the yeah uh, it's crazy this is uh i mean not to get like super uh, crazy already but like um you know this is the the official third year anniversary of doing this show 2020 yeah was a weird year for just about everyone. <laughs> it um, was. It,
0: it, it was okay for the for the show, I'd say. But uh, yeah, it was a, a very strange time. My God. Yeah. And I mean, anyone who's been listening to the show for a while
1: knows that, um, you know, uh, the first episode of, of every year, we kind of just scrap the usual structure. And Jamie and I just count down our top 10 films that came out from the previous year. And for obvious reasons, there was... Um, uh, not a lot of stuff that came out <laughs> a little so, bit less. Yeah. A little bit less than, than, than usual. And the, it's been a weird time for the film industry. And uh, I mean, I was kind of glad that we
0: had the show in 2028. Gave me a little oh, bit of I structure know.
1: to my life.
0: Yeah. For, <laughs> for real, man. Like it just, uh, it, it was, it was fun to be able to dive into a bunch of movies that were like on the cusp of greatness, but not quite there. But uh, I don't know. In, in every other year, it seemed like I wouldn't uh, have watched as much as I as I did this year, and I was Definitely. able to just dive into like all the DTV trash, just everything. So that was pretty fun
1: yeah that, w- that was definitely fun and and this is this episode is mostly for the free listeners because if anyone's a patron around here um, you guys listen to the bonus transmissions you probably know a lot of our thoughts on a lot of these films because yeah we had so much free time we did it we really ramped up the bonus transmission series this year and we talked yeah. about a lot of these new release genre films um, which you know are just sort of like spiritual successors to the kinds of films that we talk about on, on the main show and yeah. um, so you know as usual previous years the first episode of January we've always broken down the previous year we did a best of 2018 we did a best of 2019 and now here we are we're going to do a best of 2020 and yeah I mean it feels kind of weird to be doing it to just use 2020 and best in the same sentence feels kind of strange <laughs> yeah um, we should
0: have made a like a, just an exclusive worst list that we never <laughs> do, ju- just for this year <laughs> um but yeah i
1: mean this this episode breaks all rules and structure of the show so welcome um welcome to 2021 i hope you guys uh had a happy new year and things are uh looking a little bit uh brighter uh wherever you are let's hope so um yeah as as always you know i'm your host josh and that's uh my co-host you guys know the drill
0: that's right i'm jamie miller welcome back everybody
1: Welcome back. We're
0: gonna skip all the movies. usual
1: stuff that we do because this is already gonna be a long episode without all that stuff. Yeah. Um sure. and uh yeah, to to break it down for anyone who maybe haven't hasn't listened to previous years, what Jamie and I are gonna do is we're gonna break down at first we're gonna talk about some of our honorable mentions, things that, you know, just barely didn't didn't make the top ten lists, and then Jamie yeah. and I are going to go back and forth. Uh my ten, Jamie's ten my nine jamie's nine and we're gonna break down um each of our picks for our favorite genre films um that came out and um similar i guess to what the uh the academy has had to do this year we don't uh care you know how it came out basically if it came out in some point theatrically or on digital rental or, you know, wherever, uh, during the year 2020, it counts for this list. So you might see a couple 2019 movies on this list that made like the festival circuit last year. Yeah. That's just the way it goes. That's right. (laughs) We needed all we could get. (laughs) Exactly. And you know, get out, uh, as usual, get out your, your pens and papers, your notepads, your, your letterbox letterbox. watch list. (laughs) Part of the reason we, we do this is, you know, if there's anything anyone happened to miss this year, we know that people don't dumpster dive quite as hard as we do. Um, yeah. This is a good time, I think, to uh, catch up on some stuff that you might have missed or maybe some stuff that you never even heard of. Um,
0: yeah. And we got quite a quite a few, so it's uh, going to be a wild one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and, yeah, also, if you like this episode, I would definitely recommend thinking about becoming a patron because, again, we do bo- a bonus transmission typically about once a month for for a while there. We were doing them uh, twice a month um, yeah. where yeah. we do full breakdowns and full reviews of um, a lot of the new release genre films as they're coming out. and. Uh, including a lot of the stuff we want to talk about today. So if there's anything that we mentioned today and, you know, we try to rip through them a little faster because, you know, or else these episodes would be uh, (laughs) five hours long. Yeah. They'd be five hours long. Exactly. (laughs) Um, You know, a lot of the films we're going to be talking about today, we did cover on the bonus transmission series. So if you're ever, if you're ever like, Hey, they talked about this film, but they only mentioned it for five minutes and you want to hear us talk about it for half an hour. It's probably on the Patreon.
0: (laughs) It's out there. Absolutely. (laughs)
1: with that being said what do you what do you say we jump into it honorable yeah, mentions let's do it
0: 2020 oh. baby
1: all right so let's jump into the honorable mentions um this year uh switching up the structure a tiny bit i think jamie and i uh rather than each listing out our own list of honorable mentions because there's going to be so much crossover this year yeah uh, I think Jamie and I are each going to go back and forth on our honorable mentions picks and we'll maybe just say when something else was also on our honorable mentions or might appear yeah. later on our list or something like that. So um, I'll jump into it first. Let's just pick something at random off this honorable mentions list. Yeah. Um, right off the bat, um, I think that we should pick something uh, probably the, the, the closest one. To uh, making the list, but didn't make the list was something that uh, Jamie actually pointed out to me, so I know it's definitely on his list somewhere too, or at least in the honorable mentions. Yeah, uh, Murder, Death, Koreatown.
0: Yeah, this is an honorable mention for me too, but this was like barely not making the list. It it was very very close for me. Yeah, so. th- th-
1: this this was actually my number eleven. This was actually yeah, like yeah, I, I I I thought about moving something out to maybe include it, but it was a very cool little, uh, found footage, horror film with, uh, no credit on basically like who made it or who stars in it or anything yeah. like that really, very something. effective. Yeah, yeah. It really does contribute something to the idea of, you know, this is just random footage that's being that, that is being found. And, you know, as much as found footage sometimes can feel a little lazy, I didn't find this one that at all. I found it, um, hmm. very interesting. It's basically just about a guy, Someone um, gets murdered in, uh, you know, in his neighborhood in Los Angeles and he starts filming, uh, you know, interviews with the people who, you know, live in the surrounding area trying to get to the bottom of it. Because there's sort of weird details about the murder on like, you know, how did the body make its way over there? The official police story doesn't really sound right. And the film slowly morphs into basically like this conspiratorial uh, descent into obsession and madness on behalf of this character where you don't really, he's starting to see signs
0: about a, maybe a homeless cult of aliens yeah. <laughs> who are trying and to like it, kill people and, it, and stuff. And it, it starts to even like break down his relationship and, and then people that he's questioning. Once he hits a certain point in the investigation, they start going like, dude, I'm not seeing what you're seeing. And it, it, it kind of, uh, As it breaks down, you're either wondering, like, is this guy just kind of mentally breaking down or is there something else here? And it's it really rides that line uh, pretty geniusly.
1: So Mm -hmm. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. And you definitely start wondering, like, if he is going, if he is killing people at a, at a certain point. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any any movie that typically is about sort of, like, the ob- subjective obsession of a character I find is very good material for genre films. It's it's a huge reason why I latch on to things like uh, Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder or, mm-hmm. like, um, uh, David Fincher's Zodiac or something like that. Um, and this is kind of like a horror found footage um, version of like one of the characters who might have appeared <laughs> in, yeah. in, in, in those
0: kinds of of movies and i um, like the way they use uh, la as well because he's like going yes. through just his kind of like apartment complex but he's going through a lot of back alleys and he's like talking with with homeless people and stuff like that it's very very interesting very cool way of using the settings so yeah highly mm-hmm. recommend
1: I like the way he uh, digitally films like also like his computer screens and the research and stuff that he's doing and stuff too. Mm -hmm, gives it kind of like this screen on screen kind of uh, formal uh, trickery to it that I liked. Yeah, Um, for sure. But yeah, that was a very cool movie. And uh, other than if Jamie hadn't even logged it, I don't know that I even would have heard of it. So that was one that uh, I wanted to start off with something maybe that people wouldn't have heard of.
0: Yeah, shout out to uh, Cameron, uh, who was on the pod just a a week or two ago, because he's the Mm -hmm. one that introduced it to me. I just saw him on Letterboxd. So yeah, it was a really cool find. Hell yeah. Uh, But an honorable mention for you. Uh, the honorable mention for me next will be uh, the Vast of Night, directed by Andrew Patterson. Very
1: cool. This is one for me as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so basically it's about like two teenagers that uh, that uh, run a radio station, and they essentially are told this kind of story from a couple of the townsfolk about this, uh, you know, these these military experiments and things of that nature, and uh, kind of making contact with extraterrestrial life. And just as it unfolds, it's very, uh, very slow. A lot of just nice, nicely shot dialogue. But then as it goes, you know, kind of the conspiracy unravels a little bit, and we we get to see some really cool science fiction imagery. And I won't spoil it too much here, but uh, but it's it's nice. It, I will say it's it's very quiet. It is something that you'll have to deal with if you don't like. Uh, you don't like a lot of talking. You might not in- enjoy it too much, but I mm-hmm, thought it was mm-hmm. really intriguing. Really loved the mood. It's based in the '50s, so it's kind of got that vibe as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I-, I thought it was great
1: yeah it reminded me of like a like a, a very small independent version of it's you know it's got a little bit of twilight zone a little bit of sort of like close encounters of the third kind yeah for um sure. and and also like those old sort of like radio broadcasts sci-fi mm-hmm. stories like i'm thinking like war of the worlds or something like that too
0: absolutely and i love like th- you know they have that kind of uh when i said like 50s vibe we have characters in here saying stuff like oh jeepers and stuff like that and i just <laughs> i kind of i love that it makes me feel like warm inside it's so, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a really interesting kind of very small, uh, science fiction movie.
1: Absolutely. absolutely yeah. And I, I, remember really appreciating it's kind of like slow, quiet, sort of like campfire story vibe to it a little bit. It reminded me also a little bit of John Carpenter's The Fog with like the, yeah. uh, the, the radio broadcast in like the small, foggy, sleepy town kind of thing has a For little sure. bit of that going on too.
0: So I definitely recommend that one as well. Yeah. And it was um, nice to see uh, Jake Horowitz uh, not in a bad movie there because we saw him in Castle go. Freak, <laughs> which uh, we didn't love <laughs> that guy. remake. Yeah. Poor but he, he was good in this one. So, Yes. Uh,
1: another honorable mention for me that uh, made the festival circuit actually in 2019, but came out sometime this summer, uh, Quentin uh, Depew's Deerskin.
0: <laughs> oh nice, yeah. Which is this is uh, a weird movie. Liked it. Yeah. Though. He's the it's uh, also French online.
1: record producer and uh director behind the film Rubber, which some of you might be uh be aware of. He's yeah. kind of like a uh,
0: comedy genre guy, and Deerskin is definitely in that same sort of realm. Um Is Rubber more um like this one I found to be like very restrained and kind of quiet with its comedy it's it's very funny but like there's not a lot of uh besides the the murder kind of parts there's a lot of very slow like dialogue talking in bars and things like that is rubber more energetic have you seen rubber i only have seen clips of rubber and it definitely seemed
1: more like overtly like a parody than this does like this 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 formally operates as like you know sort of like a festival art film like the way that you yeah would, would, would normally see something that plays a festival but absolutely very slowly it it, it has just like this insanely absurd pre- premise of um jean de who some of you might know um obviously as the the lead in, in the artist um and he's a dude in this who uh, again talking about obsession uh, <laughs> he becomes obsessed with this designer deerskin skin jacket and how it gives him as he puts it killer style um <laughs> and this movie basically just takes that pun as literally as it can and it slowly morphs into like a weird serial killer film sort of something like angst or henry portrait of a serial killer um but basically just about like this bougie french midlife crisis <laughs> that this <laughs> yeah. guy has about you know sort of like fashion and uh filmmaking. And
0: and he has this obsession with uh, make. He wants to be one. He has this jacket that he sp- spent like four grand on or something like that. So he's very proud of it. And he ends up having this obsession with wanting to be the only one with a jacket. So he starts paying off people to like take off their jackets, and he speeds away from them. Uh, and then it. Tur- <laughs> and then of course it divulges into like murder and some craziness with a. He, he literally takes a. Uh, the edge of a f- one of the fans, like the fan ceiling, and just starts killing people with it. It's it's a wild, wild movie. So yeah,
1: I, I love when he starts like orchestrating like independent film productions just to like <laughs> Kill be people. like you got you guys are actors, and this is a story about how all of you take off your jackets.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like, now just put it in my trunk, and he speeds off. And every single time he did it, even though it's a very simple gag, I actually lost my mind. I thought it was very very funny. Um, it was yeah, a little too strange for me to like get to that top 10 but i i I just really respected it yeah i needed to to, i think give
1: it another watch but it did remind me of like a a more overt comedy version of something like house that jack built where it just traces his bizarre serial killing pathology that stems from him being wanting to be the only person wearing a jacket in the world and it it takes (laughs) i was just surprised that not only does the movie take that seriously enough that it's kind of horror-y, but like um, the performance by Dujardin, like he commits to the pathology in a way that you know it's so cartoony, but you know, and it, yeah. I, I was able, I was able to track it, and I had a really good time with that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I had a good one. Uh, so this next one uh, is 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 the one, the boy uh, unhinged featuring big boy <laughs> yes. russell crowe uh yeah, directed this is by
1: obviously also on mine for anyone who heard the bonus <laughs> transmission where jamie and i almost convinced each other that it was actually a four-star
0: movie. oh man it might be it like honestly I, i've watched it twice this year i do plan on watching it again i just think uh, i i have an absolute blast with this thing uh it's directed by uh derek bort and or is it borte or bort do you know uh, do you know what? I hadn't even heard of this guy before this, so no yeah. Idea. Okay, fair enough. But uh, uh, so basically, it's very simple. You got Russell Crowe and uh, Karen Pistorius, and basically, uh, Karen plays this woman who is uh, driving her kid to school, and on the way, she kind of honks at, at Russell Crowe's character, and they get into a little bit of a a little bit of an argument, and road rage uh, entirely takes over Russell Crowe's character, and just chaos ensues. And it's a good, like, tight hour-and-a-half thriller of just him completely trying to ruin uh, this woman's life and eventually end her life. Uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just a battle between those two. And it's an absolute, just, it's just so much fun. I, I had an absolute blast with it. You get to see big boy Russell Crowe in, like, a, a big fat suit. He's got divorced dad energy. Just everything that you'd, that you'd want in one of these kind of films. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, Russell Crowe in that movie is as large and sweaty as I've ever seen a <laughs> character be, and also yes. somehow menacing at the same time. I genuinely mm-hmm. think that he should be nominated for Best Supporting Actor for all of the mugging and grunting and yes, shit that too. he does in that movie. <laughs> he's he's a very compelling villain. He plays this absolute trash movie role as if he's gunning for an award. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and have- I, I mean, I, I mentioned on the bonus transmission that it reminded me of like that road rage, um, Sort of anxiety in the filmmaking of something like Steven Spielberg's duel. And then also sure. that descent into madness, you get a little bit in Joel Schumacher's sort of like falling down. Like that, especially yeah. the <laughs> opening scene of falling down when he's just sitting in traffic and he starts going fucking insane. That's yeah. that. This is that movie, like that moment applied to, you know, like an 80 minute, really lean, <laughs> mean, and brutal thriller that's so mean-spirited and even the violence hits hard um, oh, i was yeah. surprised you have, like, actually like like the the maybe the sort of like thematic or character content is a little bit more nonsense but yeah. the the formal economy of the film like how just lean it is and how committed russell Crowe is to it being just so mean-spirited and so brutal really made it work for me
0: yeah absolutely and you have a hilarious shot of russell Crowe just holding up his giant ass fist and a 12 year old just running straight into it. And that's always <laughs> hilarious. So <laughs> yeah, highly recommend on un- Unhinged. Lots of uh, child violence on, <laughs> on the 2020 list. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> we hate them kids is, is full on on 2020. Yes. <laughs>
1: um, a, my next honorable mention is actually, um, as always, you know, we have to include the direct to video content, Oh, yeah. And uh, I actually have a recommendation of a direct to video double feature of um, John Hyams uh, alone. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. With uh, Jules Wilcox and um, uh, a a couple other actors in there. John Hyams, obviously the son of um, uh, shit. What's the is it? Is it Peter Hyams? I can't remember. The guy who did uh, uh, the original Universal Soldier. Um, or sorry, no, that's Emmerich. Um, but the trash yeah, film, Peter, McCoy, Hyams. Yep, Peter, Peter Hyams. Hyams, yes. Sorry. I think it's, um, the maniac cop stuff actually. Cause I think he's working oh, on nice. that with, uh, Nicholas winding reffen That's awesome. Um, either way, P- um, John Hyams, his son did universal soldier day of reckoning and a couple of other direct to video stuff. And uh, Alone is sort of like a very lean kidnapping thriller, which again reminded me a little bit of of Spielberg's Duel, just in sort of like, again, a little bit more road rage, a little bit more, um, and also the other one that we did with Duel Breakdown. But yeah, it's a very yeah. creepy sort of like kidnapping survival movie. It has a really good sense of sort of like the space and tension and tracking, you know, how she is going to escape from this guy who has, you know, sort of like kidnapped her on the road. And it turns into, you know, sort of like a direct-to-video survivalist act movie and it's something you haven't seen before but I thought that it was very well crafted
0: yes that's, and that's what I noticed I was just kind of sitting there like you know th- I, I kind of know how the story is going to play out and everything but it's really really tight you know it's got like it's about 95 minutes and Mark uh, Mencheka uh, he has like his presence he, he kind of looks like Ned Flanders in this <laughs> with like his like glasses and mustache and stuff Uh, but, but he's just, he's an absolute powerhouse and, and you do have a real sense of fear when he's on screen. So they did a really good job of, of, uh, kind Mm. of, uh, especially using that first half hour to kind of just set in the fear, the way that he plays with her mind a little bit before the actual like chase begins, uh, is really good. He's just very menacing and I appreciated his performance And, and Jules Wilcox was really good too. Really strong performance from her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I thought that also just I need to check out more John
1: Hyams because, uh, yeah, you know, those, yeah. it was it was very um, effectively um, filmed and um, pretty you know. brutal, oh, too.
0: And oh, I realized I, was I realized why
1: I got his dad confused. Um, his dad did the other Van Damme sci fi uh, time cop. Oh,
0: nice. Okay.
1: And, uh, and and the Van Damme uh,
0: the die hard in a hockey stadium ripoff sudden death. I love how it um, runs in the family here. That's awesome. The family, They're just like, these. we love the trash. I love it. Exactly. And
1: uh, the other one that pairs with Alone is this movie uh, that I caught in just at the last minute before we recorded the show, one called Hunter Hunter by a guy oh, okay. named name, name Sean Linden. Um, and it actually has a uh, Devin Sawa in it, who we talked about in the Fanatic last year, which I think was on our honorable mentions. Oh, that's He's is he the guy the that lead. plays the dad. Yes. So he plays um, (laughs) he plays the Limp Biscuit. uh, That is
0: nice. That is nice. That's right. Um, And
1: obviously obviously he's the main lead from the original Final Destination film. Um, But yeah, in in this, uh, he lives with his wife and daughter who are. A fur trapping family. Basically, you know, they've just been hunters in their family for generation, and they kind of live um, off the the books in a conservation area with the animals and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And they they kind of talk a little bit about you know how their way of life is being outmoded because they don't really like go to town and go grocery shopping. Like their his daughter doesn't go to school; she just hunts all day with him. They they literally live off the land, sort of like nomadically. And but there is this wolf that is hanging around. And they assume that it's you know um, um, a rabid wolf or it's uh, it's an evil wolf because it's not just killing for food anymore. It's killing for pleasure. And they also think that maybe it's actually killing people and that they're in danger. And I won't say anything more about the film because I thought that similar to Alone, it was going to be another sort of like logistic-based survivalist kind of action film where they just fight right. this wolf. Um, and it is absolutely turns into something more akin to a really graphic serial killer style film that I didn't anticipate. And it has, um, one of the most grisly and gruesome, uh, like final climactic set pieces that I saw in a movie. Um, and awesome. that's all I'll say about it so I would recommend checking that out if you want uh, direct-to-video um, sort of genre trash that came out this year that um, is more interesting than I than I thought those two really stood out
0: Nice, yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that out I actually missed that one uh, My next one is this I just had to do it uh, I, I thought this was a really fun movie uh, Fat Man, directed by Isham <laughs> Nelms and E.M. Nelms uh, this one stars uh, Mel Gibson and Walton Goggins. And essentially, it's about a 12-year-old boy who is just up to no good, very naughty. Uh, and he has uh, put out a contract to kill Santa Claus uh, because he's just, he's just <laughs> not getting what he wants. He's getting that lump of coal, and, and Santa needs to pay. Uh, Mel Gibson pa- plays Santa Claus, so you already have something that's incredible right there. That's a sell on its own uh Mm -hmm. walton goggins ends up playing the uh the hitman and it's just it's very smart with how they apply all this like more this kind of gritty real life and realism to uh to 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 the north pole so you have you know the elves are in this really run down dark lit factory and they're all you know jingling their bells to try to appear happy but we all know what is really going on here they're making uh uh, manufacturing deals with the the U.S. Army because they just don't have enough money to to supply themselves, and uh, you know, there's just there's a lot of of really insane ideas that end up working way better than they should. Um, and and yeah, I I just had an absolute blast with this, so uh, yeah, I would highly recommend uh, Fat Man. Um, it might might get into that Christmas cycle, you know. So hell yeah, no, that one that one was definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, I had a
1: blast. Um, one uh, next for me is um, uh, "She Dies Tomorrow," which was Ooh, one that nice. also just uh, I me didn't too. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it. If I might have rewatched it, it might have even got a little bit closer. Um, yeah, to list, but it's but it's, but it's by Amy Simons and Jamie and I. We did a bonus transmission where we were, where we talked about it, but it was one of those ones where we kind of felt like we were discovering the film as it was going on. It's very sort yeah. of like um, abstract and moody and it's, it's about, um, a woman who is overtaken by the notion and the feeling, um, a prevailing feeling that she is going to die the next day and that, um, the movie sort of takes on the psychological subjectivity of, you know, that sort of emotional and psychic spiral connected to that idea. But then it's also a little bit of like that idea starts spreading to and infecting other people and infecting the world in something that almost Shyamalan style, like something like the happening. I was reminded of <laughs> this, the sequences, the, the uh, what I honestly think are creepy sequences in the happening when the people just start killing themselves. Yeah. Um, those are the best for sure. Yeah, I was like imagine those sequences but you know drawn out with a little bit more in in sort of like a, a little bit more of an overtly indie artistic style with lots yeah. of um colors and abstraction to it but that's the kind of prevailing feeling that you got from the film and it starts caitlin shiel and yeah and and jane adams as well who i think is very good in the film and yeah i just remembered watching this and um i thought about it a lot more after the fact i think while i was watching the film i was um trying you know, to figure it like, out a little bit i was trying to figure it out a little bit yeah. and then the but the feelings did stick with me after i watched the film and after i thought about it and i probably should have given another watch before this but i wanted to highlight it anyway
0: yeah, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I thought it was great. I also, like, just in the difference between, like, the happening and the way that the deaths were in this, this was just so, like, they, they, they it, it was very long, like, because they would have these deep conversations with people about how they're feeling their dread and all that, whereas, like, the happening was kind of this instant moment where they just decided to do it. Uh, so, yeah, so it kind definitely drawing out
1: with the, yeah. the, the, the character psychology and emotions a little bit.
0: Yeah, which can be pretty heavy. So I thought that that was very effective as well. Uh, a, one for me would be uh, uh, the Wolf of Snow Hollow, uh, directed by Jim Cummings. Yes, that would be one for uh, me as well. This was a really awesome kind of comedy horror uh, that I, I believe we covered it around Halloween. Um, we did, and, yeah. Uh, and I just I, I'm a big fan, becoming a big fan of Jim Cummings. I really liked his uh, movie Thunder Road. Uh, but this was, was this was cool to see because it was kind of like taking his Thunder Road character uh, kind of this like d- dumb cop that's trying his best but just fumbling a lot along the way. Uh, but then the ins- instead of just that straightforward kind of drama narrative, we have the horror element of a uh, werewolf coming into town and and killing people and doing a bunch of insane stuff like that and, and as the movie, Uh, goes on it kind of unravels to reveal something else that's going on uh that i won't spoil but it's very funny and it actually isn't afraid to show uh some some real gore and some blood so i I had i just had a really good time with it
1: yeah it was it was pretty nasty and i was definitely really uh taken off guard by kind of some of the stuff that it does in 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 the finale uh, yeah it, it, it yeah. gets into some real sort of like zodiac levels of 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 creepiness um by the end and also really nice to see uh, robert forster again too who recently uh passed away this might be one of the last things we'll see him in
0: yeah, basically absolutely. playing his, his
1: the character that he plays in the uh the the twin peaks the return too which i really <laughs> appreciated yeah yeah definitely um, yeah, uh, we're getting pretty close to the end here, I think. Uh, but for, for me, one of the last ones I've got is, um, Bad Hair by, um, Justin, uh, Simeon, which I think we also covered, uh, recently back in, been, o- October there. Yeah. Um, but so this was great. like a, a real deal kind of black exploitation horror film about a killer weave. <laughs> um, <laughs> To, uh, more uh killer fashion items uh yes too yes There's, we're, we're finding some cool double features yeah i'd pair this one with deer skin um but yeah just just the way that this actually works as sort of like a period uh horror film taking place in the 80s it reminded uh both jamie and i of um in fabric about the killer dress yeah um And also, too, how it's a bit of an an, an industry satire of, you know, sort of, like, um, corporate television where she kind of works for, like, sort of, like, a a BET or MTV-style news station where they – sorry, not news station, uh, music video uh, station – And yeah, it gets a little bit into sort of like Spike Lee, a little bit of bamboozled and and (laughs) things like that as well. So, you know, I was um, I was uh, quite surprised by it, even if I think that I remember we were kind of confused about, you know, sort of its 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 messages about sort of like uh, straight hair (laughs) versus natural (laughs) hair. Yeah, Um, (laughs) yeah. Um, I, I do think that it's pretty effectively drawn in the actual filmmaking itself. And for a first time stab at, at horror filmmaking, I thought Justin Simian actually did um, a pretty a pretty interesting job. Some of the sequences, you wouldn't think that hair could convincingly, brutally murder someone on screen. Yeah, but he um, finds a way. <laughs> but he finds a way, yeah. And it reminded me of that Toby Hooper, John Carpenter short that they did where Stacey Keach just wants the most luscious locks on the planet. <laughs> um so yeah, yeah, I had a good time with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd put that on my list too. Uh one for me was uh Capone uh by yes, Josh Trank. For me too. Uh which was cool too. We got we got Josh on the on the show this year. Friend um, of the
1: show, Josh um, that's, Trank. That's right, that's <laughs> right.
0: Uh and I yeah, this I thought this was really, really underrated. Um I don't think it quite hit what it was what it was going for, uh, so I didn't give it that four. But it, it's it's something where it's basically Capone in his stages of uh, dementia, and he's just kind of walking through his past as he's also dealing with the the modern physical toll that that it's taking on him. Uh, and so you're dealing with like he's t- having these flashbacks of like walking through his his time as a as a you know gangster. Um, And then at the same time, he's he's going back to reality where he's throwing up constantly. He's got this blood red like Tom Hardy has this blood red eye the entire time. He just looks sickly, just horrible. He's he's eating a carrot instead of a cigar at at one point. It's just uh, basically you're watching the deterioration of Capone. Um, Yeah. And, and, And credit needs to be given to Trank, too, for how uncommercial of a premise that that is.
1: Like just the idea of the way he does it, you know, Capone has inspired so many sort of like mythic gangster films. Right. He inspired the original Scarface.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And like an an entire genre
1: of film exists because of Capone as like an image. And his idea was to break Capone down and just take it, take you through the ugliest, most unglamorous time period in his life when he was, when Tom Hardy basically just plays him as a dementia ridden Wario, just snarling and (laughs) shitting and and growling. (laughs)
0: He shits himself like five times and I'm not even exaggerating. (laughs) It's, it's one of those things where he takes all of the coolness of the character and just rips it away from him. And I think that's honestly deserving at least uh, when you're telling this era of his life. So uh, yeah, I thought, I thought it was a lot better than people said it was and I would recommend it if you haven't checked it out already definitely
1: definitely it had actually one of my favorite sequences in a movie this year which was that one where uh, Josh Trank basically replicates sort of like the dreamier sequences that take place in The Shining like when yeah. he's walking around the Overlook Hotel and things just start sort of like merging and disintegrating um, between his memories and the, the literal place that he's in and you know sort of like his his psychology that's breaking down and being able to see that done but to like an old timey gangster character like someone that Edward G. Robinson would have played back in the day yeah, just a really really genius idea so I yeah. gotta give credit to Trank there and, and, and good luck to him on uh getting future things made (laughs) (laughs) because uh people seem to really have it out for them and uh, yeah people were really uh like this is probably the lowest rated movie we're gonna include on our list today
0: yeah i think it's got like a 2.2 or something like that which i just it's i think it's criminally underrated in my opinion so yeah um and the last one for me is
1: uh one called sputnik Directed by Igor Abramenko, which was, um, uh, sort of like a, a loose, um, alien meets arrival, but during the Cold War style film where basically an astronaut brings back this sort of like creature back inside him and it turns out to be sort of like this symbiotic kind of like creepy little venom style uh, yeah. alien monster that uh, lives inside of his body and what it kind of turns out to be is a little bit of a critique of sort of like the bureaucracy and the sort of military industrial complex and how it kind of dehumanizes um, the people who are, you know, genuinely interested in, in the science and the belief, right. uh, in, in sort of like space travel and, and, and things like that. But, um, it was pretty effectively made and there's some really, really creepy and cool sequences involving the alien, involving the interrogation sequence in the military bunkers and,
0: and, and some and things uh, like that. I was impressed. And some surprisingly good uh, CGI for for the for the alien for sure because yeah. I was surprised just because usually when you go to these the, the films that don't have the the biggest budget you know it, it, it can be a risk when you're doing something like that but I, th- I thought it looked really really good and I was shocked by that so wanted to throw that out there too hell yeah you got any more uh, yeah I'm just I've got like like four here but I they're I'm just gonna Awesome out there and, and people can add them to the list if they want. This one is cool. just personally for me because I just had such a good time with it. Assassin 33 AD <laughs> directed <laughs> <Nice>. by <laughs> Jim Carroll. I mean, shit, uh, you you,
1: you, sh- you should probably double feature it with the, the uh, Christian genre movie uh, direct-to-video Beckman, right?
0: <laughs> Beckman, right. Not Beckham. Yeah, Beckman. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Double feature these bad boys. Uh, I won't go too into detail, but essentially a dude travels back in time to kill Jesus because he, <laughs> because God killed his family and then and then there's a bunch of time travel shit and I'll I'll just leave it at that. But very is,
1: ambitious, very weird.
0: Yeah, it's galaxy brain stuff. It's totally dumb and out there, but I just had a, a blast with it. It was so much fun. And yeah, it actually would be pretty awesome to double feature with uh, with Beckman, <laughs> which is the Christian John Wick essentially. Uh, Hell yeah. Moving on from that, we had uh, Underwater. Uh, by William Eubank, which I thought yeah. was a pretty simple, just kind of like a, a contained thriller uh, within a, a, a ship or like a submarine kind of thing. And basically, something down there is unleashed and they have to deal with a bunch of crazy monsters. But the most uh, compelling part of this movie is honestly how they have to deal with the the living in the ship and how just... There's so much weight to everything. A lot of this movie has, like, their whole, they have these, uh, these, uh, these suits that they wear, and, and they're just, they seem so heavy, and there's a lot of detail in the actual. Geography of the ship and and all that, so I I was very impressed by that. Um, gave it a solid yeah. three stars.
1: Yeah, under underwater and Sputnik might be cool together too for little uh, oh sort yeah of alien riffs There's a I, I, I thought particularly in underwater that the, just the photography, especially before they go underwater into the CG sequences with the, which I think gets a little bit muddier. Even yeah, as they start introducing you know some of the Cthulhu elements, which I thought <laughs> kind of cool. Yeah, but before that, when it's just the logistics of how do we um, survive, you know the sort of like un- underwater shift going down almost right you know uh, it's shot by uh, Bojan um, Bazeli, who's obviously um Gore Verbinski's cinematographer now, but he also shot like some Abel Ferreira back in the day, like King of New York. Um, So the, the low light sort of like claustrophobic wide angle photography of all like, you know, sort of like the analog tech and like their suits and like the, they even have like glowing sci-fi power suit looking stuff. Um, That stuff reminded me a lot of like the old school um, science fiction of stuff like, you know, where it was really tangible, you know, things like Star Wars, things like alien
0: yeah, that's exactly how it felt for sure. Uh, so just a just a few more here. We'll throw them out. Uh, Bloodshot, directed by Dave Wilson with uh, Vin <laughs> nice. Diesel. This is just like that that awesome kind of DTV action trash kind of stuff. It's it's uh, overall even, you know, even even though
1: it wasn't, it was an expensive film. Oh <laughs> well,
0: I will say it kind of looks that way. Uh, it does. It
1: does. But no, right. but honestly, it has there's that like vibe, a charm even if that's not actually what it is, which is kind of cool. Right.
0: Right, yeah, I think that there's it a charm that to It has that charm
1: to it that like a low yeah. budget action film does.
0: Yeah, and uh, w- there's just some some cool uh, sequences with like uh, uh, Guy Pierce playing this like like bad military guy, and then you have this awesome sl- super slow-mo over the top, like tunnel sequence with a bunch of red and blue lighting. So you know, it's just it's a lot of fun. It's it's kind of mindless, but it, it, it's a it's a really good time. And if you I like actually like to the
1: the the way that of plays of plays with memory of the second half of the film when it a little bit of a little bit of like a Vanilla Sky or like Memento. It's really obviously little a meat-headed like sci-fi revenge of a little bit of a little bit a character about a like like eugenics and militarization and like corporatizing his body and his memories and his rage and stuff like there's, there's stuff going in there. I remember just thinking that, you know, like it reminded me of like a nineties action sci-fi B movie, like universal soldier or something like that with the computer hacking and the super soldier hunks and all that kind of
0: stuff exactly and, and we love that on the show so
1: definitely uh, it's
0: fun. and then the last two real quick is uh the beach house directed by jeffrey a brown which i really did actually want to rewatch. i just didn't get a chance to do it um but it's essentially like this, this this couple goes on a getaway to a beach house and then there's this other couple that shows up who are who are a little older and they just start having kind of these weird interactions and you're not quite sure where it's going and then it it turns into this more like uh, it's kind of like nature coming back uh, to take revenge on us a, a little bit. It starts to you know, people are are kind of transforming, kind of becoming one with the, the ocean and things of that nature. I don't want to get too into the details, but it's uh, it, w- it was interesting and I really liked it. I, I kind of wish I, I rewatched it so that I could gather a little more, but I remember really enjoying it and I would highly recommend it. Yeah, one Um, one of the more uh, creepy sort of like cosmic
1: atmosphere films that actually came out this year, like more so anyway than um, uh, Castle Freak, which posited itself as like a, uh, (laughs) you know, like the the Lovecraft remake we should all be talking about.
0: Apparently, yeah. (laughs) Um, And then the last one is uh, True History of the Kelly Gang. Directed nice. by Justin Kurzel. And I just had a really good time with this. I thought George McKay was unbelievable uh, in, in this movie. And I, I just liked how it kind of muddied the the line between fiction and nonfiction when it comes to Kelly's story. It's kind of like you're getting his perspective rather than a true historian's perspective. And, and there's something really interesting about that. Uh, and then there's also like a killer... Uh, Final twenty-minute action sequence involving like him just in this giant metal suit getting shot at, and it's 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 wild. So uh, yeah, I would I would also highly recommend uh, True History of the Kelly
1: Gang. Nice. Oh, and actually, because you're done, I just realized I have one on my list I didn't scroll down that nice. I have to throw in: uh, Greyhound. Oh, hell yeah. Um, Hell yeah. Aaron Schneider, Tom Hanks, uh, a a little bit less genre-y just because it's, you know, it's a, but it is a a war film. Um, Yeah. But it was it was actually written by Tom Hanks, and I remember being impressed in particular because it's not a very show-off-y performance. It's very similar to, um, but more restrained even, than what he was kind of doing in in, in Captain Phillips, um, mm-hmm. where he's just kind of a guy doing his draw, his job, and it yeah. sort of, it reminded me of one of my favorite sequences in Titanic, which is where that scene where it sort of tracks the process from the command and the steering of the ship to all of the action in the ship's interior that is necessary to make those actions come to life, like the coal and... That basically just tracks the process from the coal room to the steering wheel in a bunch of minute sort of like analog actions. And that was basically what the entirety of this movie was. It was Tom Hanks being given a situation and then, you know, having to make a choice and then watching all of the different details, like how many people have to command who to make a choice to run you know uh, a, a naval warship like this. And yeah. yeah, I remember just being impressed about sort of like the logistics based set pieces on tracing the individual situation, um, it, it itself and the, the people sort of like making the decisions and how they don't fucking go insane. And I remember just, you know, feeling by the end after all the
0: psychological stress is kind of over you're just kind of relieved for them that <laughs> yeah yeah they really paint the picture that it's like five seconds is a lifetime in that kind of situation it's like i remember mm-hmm. there's one scene where a kid just kind of stumbles for i don't know three or four seconds just says the sentence two or three times rather than once and everyone's like are you fucking kidding you can't do be doing that right now so it's just that yeah, that, of, that, that
1: that four seconds is like the difference between whether we live or not. Exactly um, between exactly. that chain of command because it takes a full minute for if I say we're moving left for the actual ship to start moving right. because it needs all of that time. Yeah, yeah so the way wild. that it, the way that it traces the the psychological stress of having to make those decisions and maintains the geography of those calculations and the physical action made by the giant boat, the piece of machinery itself. I remember being quite taken with that. So. Yeah, if anyone agree. didn't get a chance to check that out, I'd recommend that. Sure. Fighting U-boats. Yeah. It, Seemed it, like a stressful thing. It, it did. It did. Glad I didn't have to do it. <laughs> 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 Alright, well I think that will wrap it up for the honorable mentions. We we threw a bunch in there. Uh, if hopefully you guys got some recommendations, and now it's time to go though, to get to the meat. And we are going to jump right into it here. We are going to start off with the number tens for oh, this yeah. year' best genre films of 2020. All right. Uh, for me, um, I am having fun with this pick because it's a it's a huge cheat because this movie uh, was really made like actually many years ago, but basically didn't get any sort of release in North America until 2020, uh, okay. and even then. It premiered I I have the same essentially movie. on YouTube. Crazy World.
0: Hell yeah, that's my number ten as well. Actually,
1: fuck yeah. Well then,
0: we we <laughs> didn't even plan this. No, we didn't. That's awesome. So yeah, that's that, just
1: that's that's awesome. We can both jump into it sort of at the at the same time here then. But this is um, a Ugandan homemade action movie by uh, filmmaker. Some of you might be familiar with Nabwana Ijiji. Yeah. And he is the guy famously behind sort of like the the much memed uh, low, uh, not even low budget, uh, no budget (laughs) action film out of Uganda who killed Captain Alex. Uh, This one is a follow up to that and uh, another film that they did in between called Bad Black.
0: I did get to check that one out, actually, which is good, by the way
1: yeah me neither well actually i guess they would have made this technically before bad black i think oh yeah so maybe they made yeah but 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 this is coming out what four years even after bad black was made yeah um so it, it took a long time for us to be able to, to see this and it, and it played the toronto international film festival at a midnight screening that was packed and apparently people just had an absolute blast so unfortunately we didn't get to see it till it played at home for us yeah um, but 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 the the tiff actually offered it online for free to watch for like a week before or uh, sort of when the first pandemic first hit. That's awesome. And this film is about a gang of child snatching gangsters who um, kidnap a ki- a bunch of kids uh, called the Waka stars. They are the action stars of Wakaliwood, Uganda's Hollywood. And these small kids are, turns out they are Kung Fu masters and oh, their yeah. father and some other characters are also um, action stars. And the film just has a true passion for Action film and action cinema and uh, they clearly pirate a lot of American action films and watch them and just (laughs) truly love them. And this film was just 60 minutes of absolutely hilarious and amateur action filmmaking filled with so much joy. It reminded me of back in the day when I used to get together with my friends. And we would have just watched, you know, some sort of Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. We got out our camcorder and we started shooting some stuff. And then you put it into the video editor and you start, you know, making your own stuff. And obviously it's not, you know, anywhere near as good. Um, but shit, this is better than anything I made when I was a kid. They, uh, oh, I was yeah. most impressed by just, despite the fact that it's operating in these cliches and despite the fact that they clearly have no money, this it was a total blast blast to watch. I found it so funny and so fun. And even some of the action, it's ambitious. Even if some of it doesn't work, the rhythm and the structure and the basic idea of it is all there. They clearly love these movies.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, the commitment from the, from the actors and I guess actors slash, uh, stunt coordinators, stunt actors is like, like it's unbelievable. They're just throwing themselves on these, like, like there's a lot of just kind of bricks laying around, you know, a lot of like loose Wood panels and things like that, and they're just throwing each other over, like you know, brick walls onto onto you know wood uh, piles of wood and things like that. Like they're just really sacrificing their bodies just for the love of what they're doing, and I you feel that energy the entire time. Like the the this never really lets up for sixty minutes. Like even the the downtime has a lot of that kind of action vibe to it where they're at least talking about going after the next guy or they're uh, instilling some like comedy into it like there's that uh, more homeless looking dude where he uses uh, two bottles of water for binoculars and things like that like (laughs) it, it gets very wacky as well uh, and I just I you know I love the passion, the commitment. They're they're very self-aware with their comedy which I can always appreciate. Dude, uh, I, I,
1: I loved the Nabwana himself the director does commentary over the entire movie while you're watching it as if he's like a friend in the room with you watching the movie. Right, and so right. many times he's like, "Oh, what are these you got? What are the Waka stars going to do now?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, or great. or at random intervals in the movie, he will literally just yell, "Movie!" <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> And for some reason you get fucking so stoked. Like I don't Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what it is like that because that idea of having kind of like a narrator that's not necessarily narrating the movie, but just kind of being a hype man, that sounds yeah. really, really dumb, honestly. And I think in any other context it wouldn't work, but they find a way. It's like it just matches that kind of crazy energy that they're bringing to the screen and their action sequences all the time. So when you have another guy randomly yelling like action star movie, you just get like super stoked instead of going like, where did that come from? It, it, it all uh, glues together really nicely uh, in some surprising ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I thought there was just a lot of really like well-timed jokes. And I love that oh, the, yeah. the kidnapping gangsters when the kid starts doing Kung Fu on them and he takes out like three of them. And there's just this aside where he's like, these kids are getting tougher all the time. We're talking about like <laughs> seven-year-old children yeah. who are kung fuing their asses.
0: Yeah, hilarious. I also love, uh, it, like there's a lot of creativity. I mean, just the image alone of the 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 planet Earth dressed up in a suit and then shooting itself is just something that's honestly stuck with me since I watched the movie. It's this strange image that I'm like, wow, that is that is really over the top and crazy. Oh well, and and
1: and the aside that they do to um uh where they literally have the piracy police show up in their movie <laughs> because obviously the, the only way that they can watch a lot of these films is by pirating them. Yeah, and literally like the people come in and they're like, hey, hey. Uh, I think one dude gets sentenced to 20 years in prison for downloading Hobbs and Shaw. And obviously that's treated like a joke. Like it's such a good joke.
0: That's such a good joke. And I don't even know if like they they might have legitimately... Loved uh, Hobbs and Shaw I'm not sure because it was hard to tell with with the the tone of the joke but either way it's hilarious because I mean I hated that fucking movie but because he's getting 20 years for Hobbs and Shaw that's that's brilliant so funny (laughs) like yeah like 25 to life to watch uh, The Rock and fucking Jason Statham so funny yeah Hilarious. Yeah.
1: yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, th- this movie was just clever and energetic and filled with filled with so many absurd jokes and meta jokes and commentary on, on all the both ironic and unironic cliches that they're um, indulging in. And also just the idea of, you know, representing his own community. He, he's so deep with, you know, the wanting to give these kids something and uh, th- they're even self deprecating about it. They say insanity is just a Ugandan passport. Um, <laughs> they also make it take a stab at Obama and so Saddam talking oh, yeah. about basically how they you know the, the the people in power they don't need them they don't need money to make the things that they want or to be happy and shit they they throw a trailer in for one of their other movies in the middle of it called Uncle Benion and he just goes Uncle Benion can 2021 <laughs> yeah <laughs> hell yeah
0: and I'm on yeah the so you know
1: if you like roof chases and gunfights and kung fu children um a, a dude named Jackie Chad getting hit with an exploding arrow yeah, this is one of the most charming things I saw this year, and it has one of the quotes that actually makes me tear up when I think about it. Um, and now you know that action movies don't rot your brains; they're love stories.
0: Yes, that's my yeah. That was my f- my favorite line from the whole thing for sure, because it's like, and it's also just shows their their genuine passion and love for these things, rather than you know, there's not a th- an ounce of like mockery or, uh, and even when there is irony, it's it's all in in good fun and and out of a passion for the, for the things they're doing. So, I I loved it. It was so sincere and just energetic and a total blast. Yeah.
1: It it it, it honestly made um made Like, it was one of my, obviously, because we're including it on the list, but it was one of the best action movies that came out this year. (laughs) It was,
0: without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um,
1: And it was made for no money by a bunch of people in Uganda who just really fucking love action movies. And, honestly, there was more passion in this 60 Minutes than you see in half the shit that actually plays at Multiplexes. Absolutely.
0: Yep. 100%.
1: Yeah. But that was our number 10. So since that was both of our number 10s, I guess I'll move on to my number nine. And maybe I don't think that we're going to have crossover here Uh, (laughs) this time. Um, My pick is Abel Ferreira's Siberia.
0: Nice. Yeah, this would be Um, an honorable mention for me. I I wanted to rewatch this, but I didn't get to, to do so. So
1: yeah and, and i'll confess part of my reasoning reasoning for including this is because uh, like i can't even make the claim that i completely understood this movie this was just one where the images themselves kept coming back into my head and i kept thinking about it there yeah, were times yeah. where i just pulled up scenes from this movie and i kind of just rewatched scenes from it uh at mm. points during this year obviously yeah. number one too because i went through a lot of abel frere's movies this year and abel frere is just one of my become one of my favorite filmmakers of all time and he released two films this year actually one called siberia called Tommaso. I didn't get a chance to see Tommaso yet, but I've heard that they're an interesting pairing together because Tommaso is sort of like, you know, his sort of like late period autobiographical sort of film about, you know, his life and some of the regrets that he has and some of the sort of like family dynamics. And I've heard that Tommaso is just more sort of like a realistic like Willem Dafoe was literally just playing a filmmaker that might as well be named Abel Ferreira.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. Um, gotcha.
1: (laughs) Whereas Siberia is sort of like this weird expressionist nightmare version of the same anxieties and so from what i understand they kind of pair together because you have the realistic real world version of ferrera and then this it's just the pure apocalyptic psychology of of ferrera his psyche it reminded me um a lot of one of his films that i watched early in quarantine that spoke to me too one called 444 um the last days on on earth which is basically like a situation where the world's coming into an end. What do your last 24 hours look like? And it's a little bit more sort of like, um, a little bit more sort of like film festival arty in a way. Right. Um, it's, but it's all about being stuck in your apartment during the end of the world, making art mumbling about, you know, how money and politicians have doomed us and like doing video (laughs) chats with his family and ordering delivery and yelling at his landlord and like 2020, Exactly. It, honestly, it was a movie that jumped out from the year 2014. It came out straight into 2020. Yeah. And this has a lot of similar anxieties about it, but again, just done in sort of like nightmare sequencing. Um, and coming off The the Irishman, too, which was very much a movie about sort of like the end where you get at the end of your life and right. where that was sort of like mundane and unbearably elongated um, this experience of how you've. Th- you know, you've broken things to the point that you can't fix them. Ferreras is like this weird, uncanny carnival of just memories and feelings and sexual impulses all wrapped together. And the filmmaking is just so an elemental and animalistic. Uh, at one point a bear just comes out and attacks Willem Dafoe. At one point <laughs> he has a sex scene where the women blend into all the different people he's presumably had sex with throughout his life at the same
0: time. Yeah. Um, there's a great death metal, uh, score every once in a while, which I did appreciate there.
1: Yeah, and just the expressionist nightmare logic of it filled filled clearly with so much guilt and 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 misery and yeah just uh old man ferreira doing sex and death metal and crazy apocalyptic uh horror sequencing sometimes with like a lynchian strangeness like there's parts where he goes into a cave and he sees like naked women dancing there's a part where he goes into the desert and he sees like open heart surgery being performed in the middle (laughs) of the desert (laughs) Um, and yeah just willem dafoe honestly this ended up being kind of one of my favorite performances i saw this year and he gets lots of moments where he gets to go Raimi spider-man mode again he gets to just act with himself yeah um, and different versions of himself throughout life and then like his father playing himself and all kinds of different things so uh the whole movie is essentially just the last uh what feels like the brain activity of a dead man living in a desolate frozen tundra uh reliving dreams and memories and And visions and it almost seems really taken with it
0: it's like and it's a lot of the time because you were saying it's like nightmare fueled it does feel like he has little glimpses of like peace and hope but the majority of it a lot of these flashbacks seem to be just based in the the tragedy and kind of the despair of his life. So it is, it is quite a heavy and and wild ride in that regard. Yeah. But
1: it also has one of my absolute favorite moments in any film this year, which is, Uh, A character that in another movie would just kind of be like uh, sort of like the representation of the all seeing sort of death character who comes up to him. And Ferreira is obviously or Willem Dafoe as Ferreira is expressing, you know, some of his regrets about how he doesn't really feel like a good person and that he made bad choices. And uh, the guy just says to him, you are not a saint. So be human. Enjoy. Fuck up. Shake your ass. Dance. this is a real fucking line in the movie yeah and then q run away by dell shannon willem defoe next to a record player just starts shaking his ass for a full <laughs> minute one of the greatest moments of someone just you know feeling terrible feeling trapped and just letting loose and and it was, it. yeah it was a, a, a really great moment for me so yeah that was my number nine siberia
0: Nice. Uh, my number nine, I believe you have a little further on the list, so I'll just uh, say a little bit and then maybe we can elaborate later on. Uh, sure. My number nine is De Five Bloods, directed by Spike nice. Lee. Uh, this was it's, I mean this is is quite a ride. This is it's a two and a half hour film. It really dives into uh, as much, I think as Spike Lee possibly could when it comes to uh, African Americans serving in Vietnam. The complications with uh, you know relationships that they made in Vietnam, relationships that they have uh, now because of uh, of uh, of the time there, relationships that they're missing out on with Chadwick Boseman's character, um, and I just I, I I really appreciated how Spike Lee. Uh, really sets in the characters first. Like I, I was re-watching it before we did this and uh, it's like, you know, a good hour into it and they're still just re-exploring Vietnam. You know, we're getting to know Uh, these, Mm -hmm. these going to the clubs in
1: Saigon and stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And they have like really awesome, uh, moments where, you know, one of them is still really struggling with, with getting over kind of the, the prejudices that would come with, with being in war and things like that. Uh, so they, they Mm -hmm. dive really heavily into that. Uh, and then it kind of turns into like the, the, the latter half of the movie turns into this kind of treasure hunt, uh, adventure that becomes, uh, still very violent and heavy but a, a lot of fun at least for the first half of the of the second half of the movie uh it yeah, it yeah. does get to a point where there there's there's some losses i'll will put it that way and it, and it gets pretty sad uh in that regard uh certain people are una- unable to let go of the past uh when others want to move forward um and yeah it, i just thought it was a really Great representation of kind of the uh, the serving that that African Americans did in in the Vietnam War and and just what they had to deal with afterward. So uh, yeah, I just I, I I loved it. I thought it was a uh, really well directed and I'm a fan of Spike Lee, but I haven't dove a lot into him. Uh, he still has some weird kind of uh, qualities <laughs> about him that 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 I, I, are a little hit and miss with me, but. He, he he has a style that I can't deny, and I find him in, uh, to be a very intriguing filmmaker, and I I love watching him. So, yeah, definitely, yeah, and
1: it is going to appear higher on my list, so we'll definitely get into it a little bit a little bit more later as well.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, for me, my number eight is um, Color Out of Space. By Ice. Richard Stanley starring Nicolas Cage. Now, I saw this movie a fucking long time ago. This would have been TIFF 2019 I would have watched this. And I actually also interviewed Richard Stanley for uh, the uh, the film stage for anyone who has any interest in uh, hearing me and Richard Stanley talk about, you know, how he was inspired by his, his, his mom's uh, cancer and UFOs mm-hmm. and all kinds of crazy stuff. But for anyone unfamiliar, um, Color of Space is an adaptation of the uh, HP Lovecraft story of the uh, same name. It's actually one of my favorite HP Lovecraft stories that I've I've read. It it, it really does have that um, sense of the fear of the of the unknowable and the intangible and things we can't even begin to perceive or really. Um, comprehend and Lovecraft himself saw it as like a direct confrontation to other sci fi writers who thought of the idea of aliens invading us in something like um, you know, uh, a sense where you know they would have human bodies or they would have similar. Political structures and military structures where they would invade us and things like that. And he's just like, What makes you think they wouldn't just be this weird biological, psychological trip experience? <laughs>
0: yeah, right. <laughs> they it's something you wouldn't understand at all. You just kind of, it, it yeah. would wash over you and then you were left with what the fuck? <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, and Richard Stanley, who, you know, known for films like Hardware and Dust Devil, which are sort of like cyberpunk dystopia splatter films slash, right. I mean, D- Dust Devil gets into some more like Mad Max, uh, uh, African spaghetti Western stuff almost. And so he is very, very uh, good at um, and and has a a very thorough catalog of genre influences and he's a huge fan of hp lovecraft and he kind of did his version i think he wanted to take it a little bit more seriously than everybody else did um but you know he he decided to take it in the road of something like um that that stewart gordon did because this does have cage go in cage mode and i I found he found a good balance between the two he did. I, I mean, I, I think that it has a combination of like, because, you know, despite the fact that it there are some moments that's funny, they're oh, funny yeah. in that way that's kind of absurd, like yes. perverse. There is like comedic um bodily suffering a little bit similar to, you know, Stuart Gordon in in things like from beyond. Um, And then you also have Cage, you know, slowly going insane into this like phantasmagorically abstract, I mean, really insane finale where he includes sort of like almost like painterly blending and reverberating synthesizer effects and psychedelic lighting. And the way that
0: they use Cage is really brilliant, too, because they start off like, you know, don't get me wrong. He's got a couple of awesome Cage deliveries right in the beginning, but he's playing the very... Uh, almost like sitcom 50s dad in in a way and <laughs> yes. then, and then as it goes he just deteriorates into his vampire's kiss nicolas cage <laughs> and yes. uh, and i just loved that it it almost seemed like richard stanley and cage were very aware of of how cage was going to act as his mind was melting um, and I, I just really appreciated it because he even brings back the voice from Vampire's Kiss, where he's just like, "And get the fuck out of the way, like that whole thing. <laughs> so it's just it's it's uh, top notch. This is actually uh, further on my list. But um, but yeah, okay, I, I so
1: we might get into a, a little bit more.
0: Great movie. Great movie
1: yeah definitely I yeah and the uh, last thing I'll, I'll say is that I, I think that Stanley very intentionally weaponizes Cage's meta comedic persona oh, and yeah. uses psychedelic imagery and grotesque body horror he does a fucking like alpaca monster straight out of like the thing <laughs> um, oh yeah it, it is a film that is on a very irregular and grotesque wavelength and unlike a lot of stuff that came out this year and it feels like it's a movie that really does like lose its own mind and is paranoid and ludicrous and radiation poisoned in the same way that the characters um, in in the films are I definitely left the film um, feeling the same way that the narrator at the end of uh, the Colored of Space story feels and what he says mm-hmm. is what it was only God knows
0: <laughs> yeah just just kind of leaves he's like I'll just uh, try not to that? think about that again yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah. My, my only complaint was that I did wish Color of Space maybe ended 15 seconds earlier than it actually does I agree I felt even more um uh in in line with just that 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 really ashy um yep. destructive kind of finale that it goes to but yeah, yeah great film
0: I know the exact shot that you're talking about and I, I totally agree <laughs> I think it should have ended there but still great uh yep. my number is this eight I believe this is no? eight yeah eight so my number eight is uh first love by Takashi Mike. Um, nice I
1: didn't I forgot to mention this but this would have been on my honorable mentions as well. This was like yeah. just short of the cut as well.
0: Yeah, for me, I just uh, now as it, as it goes, the story uh, you've probably seen before if you've seen like you know drug smuggling crime kind of thing. It's uh, uh but there are some 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 interesting kind of uh, nuances that Takashi obviously brings to the table. Uh, so you have a boxer who thinks that he's going to die. He's been told that he has a tumor, so he kind of just goes on this uh, this, this this long adventure during the night to kind of contemplate that. Um, Uh, The the girl uh, who he's with is both a prostitute that has had... Uh, some issues in the past due to sexual abuse, and she sees this kind of, like, uh, guy in tidy whiteies that represents the, the sexual assault that took place, and she sees him randomly almost as, like, a ghostly figure. And then you have some other characters, like you have a one-armed guy that holds a shotgun, and he just single, like, uses the one-arm to do the shotgun. You have a bunch of hitmen that are using both guns and samurai swords, you know? There's just a lot mm-hmm. of style to this. Uh, the reason I really liked it was... It's, uh, it was very fast-paced. A lot of the crime stuff we dealt with this year was very moody and slow, which, don't get me wrong, I, I love that stuff. There's actually one that's further down my list that that takes that that route. Uh, but this was one where it's just like the, the comedic energy that it brought to the table uh, as well as Takashi's uh, uh, violence that he always has. Like, there's plenty of decapitated heads in this movie. <laughs> and not only are, like, you know, we get in head... Heads chopped off, but he likes to focus on them and almost like a very tongue-in-cheek comedic way. Like there's one shot where a guy gets his head cut off uh, at the beginning. It kind of sets the uh, sets the 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 events in motion, and um, and he just lingers on the shot of the guy's head, and the head blinks at you, and and it's just <laughs> like there's there's a lot of really crazy stuff like that, and I don't want to ruin any of the of the story, but I just had an, an absolute blast with it. Um, and uh it's it's just very vibrant and a lot of fun as well as very angry loud and in your face as Takashi Mike usually is so uh, i I had an absolute blast and i'd highly recommend highly recommend it
1: yeah if 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 anyone's a fan of back when he used to do sort of like um 90s crime yakuza stuff with a little bit of absurdity like a little bit of sort of like tarantino-esque sort of like remix of the crime genre that's how i was thrown in his kind of like hyper violent cartoon quality sometimes things like dead or alive or like ichi the killer Um, yes first love is kind of a, a, a a return to that
0: yeah, exactly. You have stuff that's just so uh, gross uh, on in any other movie, and it still is here. But he always has that kind of tongue and cheek irony to it. So even if you're watching something you know you might not, you, you shouldn't be laughing at necessarily. He's gonna make you chuckle about it. So it, it kind of has that tone, and I, I love that. And uh, it really worked for me. So, so yeah, this is my number eight
1: nice um well my number uh seven here is and i'm so glad that i get to throw something like this on here i mean we probably shouldn't this probably should get saved for next year but nobody (laughs) knows when anything is coming out anymore yeah for real Um, for real so this this technically didn't get an official release in 2020 and it's still unreleased i think technically (laughs) um but this is the film bad trip Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I have the, this a little
0: later on, but yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So we'll get into it maybe a little bit more too on on on, on Jamie's list here. Um, but just the fact that I don't think last year I even had a comedy film on my top ten. So yeah, the fact it doesn't that usually there, it, it. there was a comedy genre film <laughs> that came out this year that is top ten worthy was was pretty amazing, and why I really felt I needed to include it. But um, essentially, this is a, an, an Eric Andre. Um, thing uh he didn't direct it but i'm, I'm calling it his thing because he kind of like wrote and stars yeah, in yeah i'm it's sure very he conceptualized his, it it's his sense of hidden camera comedy that that he does yeah. um and uh this is essentially you know y- you've seen something like this before uh the film has you know exactly one joke <laughs> um, it does but so the joke well is is absolutely incredible and it's so well realized in the filmmaking i couldn't help but love this movie it, it, yeah uh, me too it's it it's sort of replicating the sort of a hidden camera prank show stuff of things like jackass or nathan for you where right. the comedian is playing a character and they are you know sort of seeing things about how real people react they're getting things about human nature out of of real people for uh, comedy. But the difference is, is that formally the film essentially replicates a studio scripted road trip buddy comedy it's filled with uh, them playing real characters and not just like doing individual scenes like vignettes like you would see in something like jackass where it's like cut to black reset cut to black reset we have a new story we have a new joke being done um right. this follows an actual road trip story uh very basic about just you know a, a guy who you know, sees his chance with maybe an old fling and he's going to pursue her across country and his best friend's going to help him, but they yeah. have to steal the sister's car and the sister gets <laughs> angry and the sister is chasing them down to, you know, beat the shit out of them for, And she's for, an ex convict.
0: For... <laughs>
1: yeah. So a lot of the scripted beats are so basic, but the fact that the film in its filmmaking and the formal structure, the pacing and the rhythm of scenes, the, the scene transitions completely indistinguishable from a beat for beat studio comedy so the yeah. the way that they were able to you know have you trace an entire story scene by scene while filming the entire thing as a hidden prank show is absolutely fucking incredible and it yeah. ended up kind of moving me a little bit even because the way that it captures those tropes the way that we buy into movies um, and then populating them with these real people on the periphery to obviously who are going to have the spontaneous reactions mm-hmm. the thing that really blew me away Despite the fact obviously that this just has really funny set pieces involving car chases <laughs> and it has really funny set pieces involving um uh, uh, uh gorilla <laughs> rape and really <laughs> absurd things that happen in the film musical sequences even yeah. um but the thing that really blew me away was that there are scenes in this that would be completely indistinguishable from a movie involving real yes fucking people my and favorite part their, yeah. Yeah, like, this replicates the big third-act apology scene, for example. The characters have broken up, but, you know, he's coming back, he's going to tell his friend that he's sorry, and that they're going to continue on the mission, and they're going to finish out the third act. And they do this scene on a real bus (laughs) filled with real transiting people, and the people— fucking clap and yeah. cheer and they're so excited that these two bros made up and they have no idea that they're being filmed or that they're in a movie and that is a scene that would appear and you would watch that movie you'd be like oh that's fucking ridiculous this is yeah, so that would never happened
0: yeah and I, it I've...
1: really fucking happened in real life and eric andre i gotta say i just gotta check out more of his stuff because it, it honestly blew me away i don't think that i have laughed that hard for 90 minutes straight since uh, the lonely island guy's pop star
0: yeah, um, definitely. That was and, probably the last then, comedy I loved like this too.
1: Yeah, and then just to combine that with just these genuinely beautiful moments of real life replicating the movies, um, honestly, I was absolutely blown blown away by this. And it may, I'm, I'm thinking about it now; it might, it maybe should be higher up on the list.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I ended up. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll get to it in more detail, but I ended up upping it because I realized that I showed like. Two or three different people. This, so I ended up watching this movie like three or four times this year, uh, just because I. It's just such a. It's such a fun time, and it breezes by. You know, it's like 80, 90 minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I've got a few more points that I'll make uh, a little later on. Uh, Sounds good. Number, You're seven number seven for me is, uh, and honestly, this this one uh, is has really grown on me, and I feel like it could get higher if I had more time. But right now, it'll stay at the seven. It's uh, a uh, directed nice. by uh, this one, I might get this wrong. Uh, Kleber Mendonça Filo and Juliano Dornells I hope I got most of that right. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty close. But, uh, it's a
1: it, it's a Cleb Cleber Mendoza Filu.
0: Oh, Mendoza, <laughs> I see. Okay, Mendoza, yes, Very awesome. <laughs> they are
1: Brazilian filmmakers, yes. so you got it. You know, <laughs> we we butcher everyone's name on this show, yes, so, so ec- apologies to everyone.
0: Excuse my ignorant <laughs> English, ass. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, back this, this is essentially about a, uh, small Brazilian town that has its own kind of like culture and, and, uh, re- religious beliefs and, and, um, practices and things like that. Uh, and they are definitely on hard times. They have this mayor that comes to town that doesn't seem to be helping them very much. They have a water issue. It seems they don't have access to clean drinking water, things that are very necessary for, Living a normal life, and uh, and what's interesting is this this movie kind of just in the first hour just kind of sets you in with this small town, uh, really getting to know the characters, uh, everybody's kind of dynamic with their relationship, uh, and then about halfway through it 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 uh, lets you know that there's something more elaborate happening here. Basically, the the town isn't showing up on maps, and you think at least on digital maps. And so you think, uh, oh, there must just be a mistake. The people in the town are are thinking it'll get fixed, no problem. And what it ends up being is a bunch of uh, westerners that have come to essentially hunt them uh, for for sport. Yeah, but and, m- most
1: dangerous game, hostile right, style. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. And and that's really what it is. And and it's uh, uh, an assault on the town, and then a retaliation. And I I won't spoil too much, but they really. Uh, put in this thought that it's like, you know, yes, you're going into a, a smaller, poorer area that, that may be ill-prepared uh, for something so spontaneous, but the the hardships that they've endured over the years have made it so that they are able to retaliate, and we see that in the finale. Uh, I won't spoil anything. There is still plenty of things to happen in that regard. It's just, it, it is one of the most wild movies I watched this year uh, just Definitely. premise alone uh, and, it, and it does not shy away from any of its violence including towards the, the villagers once it gets to that point um, it's, it's, it's ruthless it, it really is a ruthless film but it's, it's very 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 good, very unique um, and I don't want to spoil too much about the ending because there's this one part in the last 20 minutes and I, I know it was a big moment for Josh as well uh, that kind of, sh- in a way shows their history, uh, with the town and, and why Absolutely. these people should not have been fucking with them. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it was fantastic. I loved it. Highly recommend.
1: Nice. Yeah. And you'll definitely, we'll definitely be talking about it a little bit more as we get up my list. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, my number six is, uh, you guessed it, the new Christopher Nolan joint Tenet. Nice. Um, we probably don't need, I mean, this is going to be just because this was one of the biggest films that actually came out this year. It's going to be one of the most talked about. So I might not dive uh, too yeah, hard. Into this. I, I, gonna, I feel like, I don't I feel even like know if, if I any- could. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I mean, if any, we, we, we tried to do a full half hour discussion on the bonus transmission for anyone who wants to hear yeah. obviously, you know, us try to uh, experience it and break it down in real time. But we saw it obviously really, we saw it in theaters because our theaters yeah. were still open and uh, the situation lucky. wasn't too bad here. Um, and we got to go see it in IMAX really early on. So we saw it like, long time ago now Mm -hmm. um but it but it has stuck with me it is one of nolan's weird probably his weirdest movie and in in that way uh it's you know i've I've returned to it it's made me think about it more yeah but um in my review i described it as a movie that is just Uh, nothing but Nolan's like temporal logistic style of filmmaking where he kind of does sort of like literalism and puzzles and he tries to solve them for you on screen and it's the most logistics he's ever done in a film and somehow it's still his most disorienting film that that he made Um, (laughs) yeah 100% it's like watching the movie tie itself like an Ouroboros snake uh, <laughs> into just various knots, and it's strange, and it's kind of beautiful to look at, and the, the set pieces of things moving backwards and forwards, it's sort of like Memento, where you have the idea of the forward and the backward narrative trajectory through editing but it's like what if he could actually depict that through blockbuster spectacle on screen yeah Um, your eyes just aren't even trained to watch it correctly to even follow the logistics of a fight scene is difficult because you're like yeah like how does someone throw react to someone who's trying to fight them moving backwards it's uh either way i had like an absolute blast with the movie and how sort of logical and tangibly disorienting and disarrayed the whole thing felt and how it used time and, um, really, there's no, uh, unlike Nolan, usually, you know, where he has a little bit of character and sentimentality, some people think he's a little bit too obvious in things like Inception with that stuff. There's hardly any interiority or, like, emotional expression happening in this. It really is just a constant sense of action yeah. and reaction and unfolding informations and they even, interlocking uh, physical movements.
0: They even strip away, like, the, the humanity from the the James Bond-esque character, the protagonist, by one giving him no real name, just the protagonist. And then yeah. two, having like I mean, there's there's a hint of relationship here, I guess, with like Robert Pattinson a little bit, but really he's mm. not having a lot of really emotional interactions or ties with anybody. He's just kind of like the job is almost so complicated that he has to just be this like faceless human being in order to solve the problem it's uh it's interesting it was really cool
1: yeah yeah it feels only interested in the sort of like espionage genre narrative and dramatic um elements as much as it serves the spectacle of the film itself Um, yeah yeah and also just being trapped inside, you know, images moving into two different spaces and two different times. Oh man! And 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 be having to make the decision to act. It's like, how do you act in that? And so, in in that sense, it really gets into you know, sort of uh, the the ideas of time travel stories, but just the way that it does uh, It's really unlike anything that I've 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 ever seen. It reminded yeah. me. I think I wrote my review that it reminded me of the. Uh, simultaneous past and present car chase and Tony Scott's deja vu where Denzel is mm. wearing the goggles and he's driving in like a past time where yeah. they can view, uh, using their sort of like, uh, uh, camera machine that they have. And one half of the screen is him looking at, you know, uh, the same space days ago, but the other eye is looking at like where he's driving on the street like right now and the the the, the sort of like way that I felt watching that which by the way I think it's an absolutely uh, genius film it's my favorite tony scott film yeah it's um, great it, so that that someone did that but did it at like a full two a and a half movie. hour movie <laughs> that merges both it. yeah it merges his clockwork precision and his cold maximalism all together yep uh in a way that, weirdly enough, it, it feels like Nolan becoming unhinged or romantic or uh, almost the opposite of his usual sort of clinical style that he can sometimes have.
0: Yeah, it's um, strange. I will say this. If you don't like Nolan, you will probably hate Tenet because <laughs> it's just such I feel it's like his most Nolan film. You know like just with his yeah the concepts of time the way he's like stripping away make, just making it colder you know it, it's uh but but luckily i love everything he does in that regard it is
1: absolutely nolan to the extreme <laughs> exactly um,
0: exactly a pure so nolan yeah.
1: <laughs> but you're number six.
0: Uh, number six for me is The Invisible Man, directed by Leigh Whannell. Ooh, uh, well,
1: hey, I'm I'm gonna join you on this one because it's actually my next one, number five.
0: Oh, beautiful, beautiful. So I can uh, I can join you with this. So yeah, I, I ended up actually rewatching this with the with the family yesterday, and they they loved it too. Um, it's it really is just like the use of space that that Leigh Whannell uh, has here is is incredible. He does a lot of just. Lingering on an empty space because we as the audience member understand what's happening, you know wh- The invisible man is gonna come up eventually uh, And we're always looking out for little signs and he knows that and so throughout especially when the anxiety is kind of being ramped up he- He'll just have moments where elizabeth moss is, you know, cleaning her room and for no reason the camera will just pan slowly over to an empty corner and it'll stay there for about five seconds and then she'll come into frame. And you're always just kind of wondering, why did he do that? You know, it it just it, it, it immediately puts in that thought, someone else is in the room, someone's watching. And uh it, it really gives you that kind of anxiety that Elizabeth's character is uh is going through. And as he as the movie progresses, he just uses that space more and more geniusly. Uh the the analogy for like Gaslighting and believing in victims uh, is honestly genius. I mean, the way that he manipulates people into think to believing that uh, that she is actually the culprit for all of this uh, is is frustrating to watch. Like you're you're just you're watching her um, go through this, and it's funny because there's moments where you know the truth as an audience member, but even her explaining to these people what's going on, when you are totally knowledgeable of the situation, you still kind of laugh. Like when she's going like...
1: No. It's absurd, yeah. Yeah, right. It, and, it is, like, I, I think we described it in the bonus transmission, like, this is the most extreme, absurd extension of domestic abuse that you could right. possibly, like, like take it to, because yes. it's it's so, like, cartoonishly villainous.
0: Right. <laughs> oh, <So, laughs> w-
1: w- Which, to be fair, is true of the original Invisible Man.
0: Yeah, see, um, that's something, too. Like, I, I've seen a couple critiques where they were like, this is too like over the top and it's unrealistic. I'm like So is a mad scientist drinking a chemical and becoming invisible also like <laughs> like that's normal. That's completely just on the level of realism. So that that's something I didn't quite understand. Cause what they do in this is they turned it into like he's an optics uh genius so he, he knows how to work cameras and stuff. So he's basically made a suit based on these like really tiny cameras so that he can blend in with his environment and go invisible. And I thought that that was genius to kind of modernize the, the whole, the science of it, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and then,
1: and then also, you know, you you know, he takes the original film, which is obviously kind of like a monster movie about this guy who, you know um, egocentric in a, in a and wild yeah this yeah. sort of like goes goes maniacal due to an experiment that makes him um, in, invisible and people sort of like hunting him down but then he starts going insane with the power of it and you know he's like right. maybe I should market this to the military and you know things <laughs> like that and, and so he takes that part of the character and extends okay well what if that modernizes him into you know sort of like a, a rich Silicon Valley domestic abuser style character right. and then puts that into a combination of you know sort of like the gas light thriller style film something like in the old days or in more old school like rosemary's baby yeah. or my name is julia ross and then he also combines that with kind of like the old school 90s domestic abuse thriller slash erotic thriller you right. know um, um, we we talked about some of the stuff with Michael Douglas like a perfect oh, murder yeah. which we actually covered on the show which is Michael Douglas literally planning to kill his wife yeah. um, which this this film just takes it more from like the wife's perspective a little bit um, so you know the way that he merges all those things together and still like honors the original film in that way because something we talked about in the original film that we really liked was this idea of Just the optical illusion filmmaking. And yeah. how it, it really took it to that next level that you know uh, it's really exciting when someone is making a film that involves optical illusions because film itself involves optical illusions is itself hmm. you could consider it one giant optical illusion <laughs> right um, so there is something sort of like meta textually interesting about the Invisible Man in that way and Lee Winnell, I think takes it to the next level here thematically by as Jamie mentioned the use of cameras the security cameras the way that they the characters have to learn to manipulate the cameras to tell us story people watching the footage like the way that he makes people think she's insane because they watch security footage of her running across the lawn or she's running away from for, yeah from nothing and they're like okay hey, this woman's just clearly fucking crazy yeah. but then near the end of the film Uh, I won't spoil it for anyone who didn't end up getting to see it, but there, there is a way that she manipulates the camera to sort of get her way out of the situation. She starts playing by his rules rules and, you know, and, and getting involved in the logistics of her choices and how that involves weaponizing the use of space and the use of cameras. Um, this, this was a, a big upgrade for me for, for Lee Winnell Um, who, you know, um, previously he's written the Saw films, he's written uh, the uh, Insidious films, and he directed Upgrade. And Upgrade, I thought, also was very, very good. But it was just a little, uh, for a cyberpunk movie even, it was just a little plot-heavy for me. I didn't get too much into the cyberpunk ideas about, you know, people um, working on their bodies. You know, it wasn't quite, you know, like an Akira or a Blade Runner for me in terms of thinking about the film. I was
0: there too, yeah.
1: Yeah, whereas this film despite the fact that it's, once again, very logistic-based and plot-heavy, I found myself thinking about this more. The way that he used the cameras, the way that he used his own compositions, like even just the shots of the invisible man's cameras suit, like flickering on him while he's doing like overhead POV shots Mm -hmm. or the way that, again, that, that hospital action set piece plays out where the camera, you know, does like this very digital oneer, where it's like moving with the POV of him preying on the people and things like that. And I think I described in my review that, He got something right the original film did as well, which is just that the idea of an optical illusion being this real tangible thing in the universe of the film that's trying to kill you is fucking crazy. And it and it and it leads to exciting filmmaking ideas. And I think that for a you know relatively lower budget genre film made under the Blumhouse model, this is a really fucking uh exciting thriller slash action film. I was really impressed.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and there's a lot of layers too when they deal with kind of like how the the law works, because at one point, you know, he gives her money and then he set that up on purposely so that she kind of starts using it for, for good things, like helping out her friends and family and whatever. And then he knows that he's going to slowly deteriorate her her mind and it's going to appear crazy to other people. So then, you know, by law, she doesn't have the right to the money anymore. And, and there's even things like that that really get into play with her uh, her anxiety and yeah. and. There's just the horrible things that are happening to her so yeah yeah it's and, really well, good. And, and
1: and Elizabeth Moss is always good but she's very good in this movie oh my
0: too. god she is like just unbelievable she it, it feels like she must have just been very stressed every single day on yeah. on set because she's just <laughs> she const- looks
1: terrified yeah and also terrified. the movie the the movie features um like one of Again, we won't we won't spoil it. But when we we got to see this in the theaters, I think this was one of the last movies we got to see before everything shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, when we saw it in the theater, there is a moment in this movie, and I've rewatched it with other people showing yeah. it to them too. That is just it is a a giant gasp.
0: Yeah, my brother <laughs> audibly own. was like, "What the fuck?" It was yeah. it was great in the middle of the family living room. It was amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So good stuff. Yeah. Great. Good stuff. A great moment. Great performance. And a, a film that, despite the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting and plot-heavy, I, I left it with uh, thinking about it. And uh, Lee Wanell definitely going to be watching whatever he's up to.
0: Yeah, he's interesting, man. I really like him. Um, yeah, so, so my, yeah, that was
1: your number six and my number five. So, what's your number five? You get to go again here.
0: My number five is Bad Trip, which uh, we, we ah, talked nice. about a little bit, uh, which I don't need to really elaborate too much. I just think it's a really, really good uh, comedy, really nice and tight, and one uh, uh, we were talking about kind of those like genuine human moments that happen, uh, and one that I particularly loved was when he was on the bench uh, with the old man, yes. and he's te- and he's <laughs> so telling good. him like like oh man I just I love this girl and I don't know if I'm gonna get another chance you know just doing that 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 little romantic comedy cliche and the old man and this is all genuine because this is a real interaction besides Eric playing the character, uh, it's just like you know what man. You just got to go for it because then you're going to wake up and you're going to be like, well, what if? Which, you know, old cliche, but just having it come from a genuine place, from a person that's just talking to a stranger. uh, You know, in a movie, it's like we were saying with that. Trying to
1: walk him through his issue. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like when we were talking about how the people on the bus applauded. you, You would look at a movie and be like, this is ridiculous. No one would act that way. It's just really cool to actually see these genuine reactions that are kind of close to the corny and cheesy writings of, of romantic comedies. It's just, it's, it, I found that endlessly fascinating to see. Sometimes the movies is just how we communicate with each other. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. Um, but yeah, there's tons of stuff like that. And I, once again, just can't highly recommend it more. It's very, well, I was going to say too,
1: and then how he takes that interaction with the old man and then breaks into song. Starts like jumping on the cars. They do the full musical sequence through the mall and everything.
0: Yeah. And the old man, this is the best reaction. I forgot about this. The old man, uh, everyone starts reacting to Eric Andre being Eric Andre. Cause he's just being a lunatic, but the old guy looks at all of them and just goes, he's in love. Just don't worry about him. He's in love. It's it's, it makes my heart warm every single time. I, I absolutely adore it. So, uh, yeah, bad trip would be my, my number five amazing
1: yeah what a what a great film if anyone didn't get a chance to check it out uh it's obviously i think netflix bought it and they just haven't released it yet and so it's probably going to appear for a lot of people next year we were able to see it because it briefly dropped on amazon video by accident amazon prime uh earlier in the year before amazon sold the rights to netflix so i think this was going to get a theatrical release through amazon
0: oh okay okay well Um, i hope it gets all its i hope it gets its shot next year if it wasn't this year because it deserves it
1: yeah, that's why we're highlighting it now. You all yeah. can remember uh, and hopefully catch up with it uh, when it actually comes out.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm just going to do my, my number four real quick because uh, it's Tenet, Uh and we oh, nice. already talked about it, so... Uh, I, I really don't have too much to elaborate from what we talked about before. I just think that this is the most Nolan film that Nolan's ever made. Uh, I love the way that he strips kind of all of the emotion and humanity away because it's it's we've discussed it a couple times where it feels like Nolan uh, it, almost... Forcibly puts the emotional stuff in, and he's he's mostly focused on the logistics and the technical aspects of of his films. And and in this one, he just he was like, "Fuck it, I'm just going to only focus on that." And I just I can't do anything yeah, but appreciate. Nolan
1: that. Nolan is very clearly a professional, and a lot of his stories are about people who are uh, professionals obsessed with their work. Yes. And at most, usually the heart of the story is sometimes how that hurts their their home life or their right. you know psychology in in certain ways. So he definitely has feeling but his feelings are always translated to cold people who maybe don't always express their feelings in healthy ways and but who, do their, their know, job dive well. <laughs> and dive deep into their work. It's why I really liked interstellar because interstellar yeah. felt like a movie where he was trying to prove love, like
0: mathematically. <laughs> Math- yes, <laughs> Love that. I fucking love that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So Tenet's my, my number four, um, re- uh, one of my favorite action movies of the year, obviously. So,
1: yeah, the the whole temporal pincer movement action shit is just fucking crazy.
0: Yeah, and I love, I just love to like uh at the end with with, kind of the whole time loop going full circle, and he's just you got Robert Pattinson looking all good, going, "I'll see you at the beginning, friend." It's just, <laughs> oh man, that's good stuff right there. That's that's good. Aaron, stuff.
1: Aaron Taylor Johnson showing up briefly with a giant beard, going, "Yo, that's cowboy shit." <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh makes- man. It's good gets stuff. Me, gets gets me every time.
0: Nice. So yeah. So four. my
1: my number four, which is I think is going to appear a little bit higher on Jamie's list too. So I'm not going to go too deep into it. But my number four uh, is Possessor. Woo. The uh, new film uh, from uh, Brandon Cronenberg, or as we have called, deemed him on the show, Cronenberg Jr., That's the right. son of, of 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 David Cronenberg, um, and he has really uh, picked up in a lot of different places that his father kind of left off in in the nineties, um, where you know he's made a very sticky and gruesome little mind control movie about 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 hitmen and and. And, uh, psychology and the body and, and, you know, whose mind is and whose body. And it's a very lo-fi sci-fi film that's akin to, you know, sort of like the early Cronenberg days of, of his low budget stuff, like shivers and scanners, but it's also got a little bit of Existenz in there. And, uh, I really got swept up into this film just being kind of, you know, following Andrea Reisenbo's character who, you know, works for a third party corporation who gets hired sort of inception style by, um, you know, various CEOs and companies that are, are faceless and nameless and we never find out anything about them, but basically to create, um, sort of similar to actually the invisible man to create a, a narrative, a public narrative, um, to, you know, kill off people in various corporations. To basically do corporate espionage and corporate assassinations. Um and he does that in kind of this lo-fi cyberpunk way about, you know, things that feel intrusive and 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 alienating and how your job is sort of, you know, stripping away at your humanity and your mind and your body and maybe you're just another tool in a corporate hellscape. And yeah. uh, yeah, I really thought that Cronenberg Jr. got into it, and also the fact that it is just absolutely filthy. It is so nasty oh, man. And the <laughs> way that he the way that he gets at this subject matter you know through a lot of you know hallucinatory sequences involving like microscopic images and mirrored and reflected colors, and you know um, a lot of this movie is um, Andrea Risenbo having taken over Christopher Abbott's um, body in the film to basically kill his uh, father-in-law played by Sean Bean and the way that their minds become uncalibrated and tear from each other in the very fleshy, tangible way that he captures that very, very similar to, you know, the, the way that we've always talked about how David Cronenberg was always interested in sort of the psychological feelings and expressions that people have and how that seeps into bodily expression and bodily yeah. action and the toll that it takes on, on, on you in that kind of way. Yeah. And I think, I think we'll get into some more detail when we get into, um, Jamie's, uh, cause I have a feeling this is going to be very, very high on, <laughs> on Jamie's list. And, uh, we also did a full <laughs> bonus transmission not that long ago that if you want, we really, really dived, uh, into this one yeah. and how absolutely disgusting it is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll just, I'll just save. My two cents.
1: Perfect. Yep. And so you already did your number four. So we're on to number three here. My number three. Yeah. Jamie already did this one, but my number three is actually The Five Bloods.
0: Yeah. um, Which, as Jamie
1: mentioned, was uh, Spike Lee doing um, the uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre. uh, Yeah. The the Hunt for Buried Treasure, which is a movie by... um, john houston starring humphrey bogart which is just a movie about how a bunch of dudes basically go fucking insane and mad hunting for gold and uh they he transports that into sort of like the american uh vietnam war style film or a men on a mission style film but then also combines that with like a hangout or a heist movie that moves its way through black history and also the history of
0: vietnam yeah, with like actual uh, archival footage, which was which was really effective too, because like Spike Lee yes. isn't afraid to also show you some guy getting like shot right in the head and expressing like, "This is what we did. This is what you know humanity has gone through." Uh, he he never looks away, which I can always appreciate.
1: Yeah, so you you a lot of the movie you spent is like a present hangout film, but then you get these sort of like memory flashbacks in 16 millimeter of their time with, um, um. Storm and Norman, who is played by Chadwick Boseman, who obviously very tragically passed away this year. And he had a very good performance in this film. And I really love, too, how Spike Lee let the older actors play the old, like, basically they are in their older
0: bodies, but in their younger memories. It's a really good way to connect the characters that you're watching on screen to the past, because it, it just feels like with having those actors with Chadwick, it's just... You get that same sense of their friendship that you get in the first hour of the film while they're just at the resorts or, or whatever they're at. Uh, and then now you get it but with Chadwick and in the, the, the time of Vietnam. So I thought it was exactly. a really good way to connect them all.
1: And, um, like the treasure of Sierra, instead of being slowly corrupted by like the greed of the situation, what they are corrupted by and haunted by in this film is sort of like the imperial act of the Vietnam war itself. Right. And the film goes through detailing the sort of like the political horror of horrors of it, but also the personal horrors of it, their own bodily horrors of it and how, you know, the drafting disproportionately affected, um, poor and, and black people and how they, Mm -hmm. you know, they were treated, um, at, at, at home in America poorly but then went on behalf of America to basically go and kill another poor and right. oppressed community yeah, in another they, country they and that. how it deals with that history with the the Vietnam crew um like actually you know there's there's a moment where you realize that there could be an entire other movie here of the Vietnamese characters who at a certain point start hunting down um, a lot of the performers um, in, in, in the film here who are looking for gold because the gold was actually promised to the Vietnamese informers and they're technically stealing it from them to go back and give to their own civil rights movements and stuff like that. So it, it it's very politically and emotionally complicated film and not in a way that you know feels um you know um i guess lazy yeah it's 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 more in a way that it just feels so hyper specific that it's almost painful and delroy lindo in this film oh my god one of the most brutally sad and destructive performances anyone gave this year and that i've seen even in a in a spike lee film uh, a man who embodies all of the seething rage and political contradictions and emotional complexities that I'm talking about in the film in one character. Yeah. Um, Love that they still treat him
0: with a lot of like sympathy and empathy though too. Yes. It's, it's, you know, even, even,
1: even though he's very clearly, you know, racist against the Vietnamese characters because of his experience, fighting them, not realizing that they feel the same way about, about him. Right. Um, Which which leads very tragically to, you know, won't get into spoilers once again, but leads very tragically to sort of like what happens to him, his story. And it mirrored with a Vietnamese character who also suffered loss and rage towards him. Um, The way that that sort of um, climaxes with him digging. uh, I won't say what he's digging. (laughs) Uh, Really, uh, uh, like... um, Affected me and and I, I've I've thought about this movie a lot. I I never I actually didn't even end up rewatching this film, but it's it's just really really stuck with me. It reminds me yeah. of the old school Vietnam um, sort of existential films, like something like The Deer Hunter or Bullet in the Head. For um, sure, you know it, it's 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 about you know personal and. Uh, friendships and psychologies and you know how that has been affected by you know a a very political act like like war um Mm -hmm. And I think that Spike Lee very intentionally took on the idea of, you know, sort of like the action movies that sometimes we love on this show, things like missing in action or Rambo Two, this idea that you could go back and retroactively win the Vietnam (laughs) war for all the men who fought it. And he just says, it's really not that fucking simple. Yeah. Um, There's nothing easy or fair or that feels righteous about this. The, the actual situation is a mess and it's very violent and it's very sad. Um, and uh, in typical Spike Lee fashion, he does that in his own sort of messy, contradictory, sad kind of filmmaking. so
0: yeah, like there's moments um, where things start to ramp up and it's oddly like like it's very brightly lit and still has it's not a positive energy, but it's it's energetic and it and even when death is kind of happening, there's a sadness, but there was also this weird like bitter irony to it in, in a way. And uh, they're, they're definitely. Spike Lee has a very strange uh, tone, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm getting more and more used to it. Definitely, definitely. And this one just really sat with me because it has
1: a really interesting moral conflict at the heart of it about the personal trauma of these characters who you're spending time with the uh, bodily harm that both they suffered and also dished out to people. And then obviously the real world historical context of it and the systemic violence and the larger applications of violence by governments
0: yeah. and my power favorite,
1: and all kinds of stuff.
0: My favorite for setting the tone was when they had a uh, Muhammad Ali in that one little interview. And he, and he's basically yeah. saying, he's like, why would I go over there if if, like, like, those people don't call me the N-word, they don't take away my rights, they don't make me feel less human, so why am I going to go over to their country and kill them for you? you know, the people that are oppressing me. So I I thought that was a great way to set the tone. And he does that with other archival footage too. But I don't know that, that, that Ali clip really stuck out to me in that. Yeah. He really
1: absorbs that into the text of the film with these, with these characters who did go over there, the characters who feel that painful feeling of like, they did that, but obviously they didn't necessarily choose to do it. They were drafted because the people who were drafted were people,
0: mostly the who, poor
1: who, who, who were poor. Yeah. Um so yeah, it, it it's those char- these characters wrestling with that exact uh contradiction that Ali yeah. brought up in that statement and Lee does it in in his own style in a way that you definitely really really feel it. It's filled with so much pain and 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 empathy.
0: Yeah, 100%. Uh, my third is uh, Color Out of Space, which we have nice. uh, discussed. Yeah, I ended up just really, really loving this. I mean, it's like uh, last year, I believe my my number uh, – or I guess it wasn't last year because last year was The Irishman, but the year before that I had Mandy as my number one. Uh, mm. These last couple of years, Nick Cage has really been coming out with some awesome science fiction kind of action thrillers. I've really been enjoying them. Uh, this one, like we said, was directed by Richard Stanley. Uh, and it just has a a fantastic tone to it. I love the mix between comedy and horror. I love as it as the film uh, moves forward, the, the colors just get more and more vibrant. Like the purple, basically that they that they f- hyper focus on. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts is is as the as the movie goes on, the the farm itself starts to like grow these these beautiful, honestly. Uh, purple trees and purple flowers everywhere and at one Definitely. point when Nick Cage is uh, just he's, he's starting to really lose it he just gets into his car and just starts punching his car and screaming at the top of his lungs true Nick Cage style uh, he just gets out of his car and realizes that his entire farm has been taken over by this like alien plant life um, and it's just beautiful shot of just him and then everything in the background that he's looking at uh, and there's, I don't know, there was something really awesome about the way that this film progresses, not only the way that the bodies kind of deteriorate in the mind, but even the way that, uh, the alien is almost giving life to nature, but not to the humans, uh, mm-hmm. and then ripping it all away when, when whatever happens at the end happens, which I won't spoil. Um, but yeah, I just, it, it, great Nick Cage performance love love the the look of this film I love the colors love that we got kind of a the thing llama monster kind of very Hell very eighties yeah. um, and and it's using a lot of practical effects when it comes to like the blood and and the the the, the body horror and and all that so uh, just a just a yeah. really fun uh horror comedy that i that I really enjoyed so
1: yeah I really love the, the way that the colors like exacerbate um you know like the, the like the both the look and the feeling of the film like you're it, yeah. it, the, as the movie just gets like more insane and delirious and psychedelic as this alien creature who again we we never find out the motives for or the consciousness of or what they really want they just start infecting um you know the world and your body and your mind kind of like all at the same time and yeah. the way that you know stanley does that as kind of like this weird psychedelic, uh, psychic breakdown almost, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, to, to the point of absurdity, which makes it kind of funny. It still yeah. maintains a sense of just conceptual creepiness and, uh, and yeah, a little bit of beauty here. Yeah. And there. Even, even in the artificial CG effects, it gives it that kind of uncanny otherworldly effect to it sometimes.
0: Yeah. That, that'd be a good way, uh, to express it.
1: And yeah, my, uh, my number two, we're getting to the heavy hitters here. Um, I have, uh, the Wild Goose Lake. Oh, by, me too. Um, oh, hell yeah. Look at us go. Number Didn't two, even baby. planet. Um by uh, Diao Yunin. Um, this is a um, Chinese film. Um, it is a kind of like a, a slow and existential neo noir to it that is um, very moody and very strange. And it is the one that I saw at TIFF last year that I have somehow just managed to, um, I, I've, I've rewatched it and I plan on rewatching it again, honestly, because I just keep being struck by, um, the images themselves. I think, yes. I think this is my pick for cinematography of the year it's because beautiful. it's beautiful. it's so beautiful to look at. Oh, it man. has the, in my opinion, the best opening, like 25 minutes of like any movie that I saw this year. I think
0: so too. Yeah, that I, I have to say I was I rewatched this last night just to get a refresher. And um, that that whole sequence from from him getting to the the club that they have the little meeting at where they're like gonna steal the, the mopeds or whatever, to them actually stealing them and then the the kind of the, the crime thing that unravels in that scene, that that twenty-five minutes is so compelling and so gorgeous and, and just seamlessly edited. Like, it's just, uh, it moves so smoothly. Um, Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, because anyone who's
1: familiar with with gangster films or with noir films, you know, you're not going to be too surprised about the plot of this film, which loosely follows, you know, sort of like an ex-con who gets back into... Um, you know, stealing shit with, with gangs because he needs work. And basically, you know, uh, um, a job goes wrong based on some sort of petty rivalries that are taking place amongst the gang members, literally over just like who gets the turf to steal bikes where? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very petty, petty shit.
0: And And, and, and he, he
1: ends up accidentally basically killing a cop um, because in, in a, uh, you know, very, uh, dark nighttime, uh, quasi action scene, but it's kind of hard to describe it as action because it's so, again, the filmmaking is so still and yes. so moody. It doesn't quite feel that way. Even, even the, um, the bare knuckle, like, b- uh, bloody brawl that takes place in the middle of the gang meeting where they're all fighting over who gets what turf, like th- that sequence is done in like this weird, like sort of like uh, you know, it expressionist subterranean nightmare. Yeah, where there's just like this this primal dog eat dog mentality as these characters. You know, he he. He switches between, you know, like shots of the um, single bulb of light going back and forth and the texture of the people's skin as they're pulling at it and hitting it and uh, versus like the concrete on the ground and things like that. Just the way that this is a really, really stylish film in a way that I think really captures um, some of the. Feelings of alienation alienation, And isolation that yeah. you know, um, I th- these, these characters end up Feel in this sort of Underworld life that uh, these characters Really want to escape because again you've seen that Kind of story in a noir where he has to go On the run from the cops he meets up With like a prostitute or a call girl who Also feels like she wants an escape out of this Sort of criminal underworld yeah. And largely the story is how do these characters Get out but the way that He shoots it the way that he gets you into their Feelings and how horrible and painful painful you know the yeah. underworld is and how badly they want out there's it, a lo- it
0: really affected me there's a lot of moments of of the characters just kind of wandering uh uh where it's just like you know they're they're whatever they're doing they're trying to get to the next spot for safety for food whatever whatever it is the next part of the mission to get through the night essentially uh and and something that that struck me was how often you'd have these moments that are very calm and and quiet, and then it'd just be sudden moments of violence. Like There's very few moments where it ramps up to the violence. It's mostly just like nothing's happening, we're all cool, we're all quiet, and then boom. Like like one of the first ones, for instance, is when they're doing the moped uh, stealing, and the one guy is just traveling through the tunnel, and then all of a sudden, bam, he gets hit by that forklift, and his head is just completely off, the the, yeah. the guy is, like, panicking uh, that's next to him, and he checks out his body, and that's kind of what starts his whole uh, adventure. But it, it's moments like that that happen over and over again. I remember there's this great shot of... It's either one of the cops or one of the gangsters. And why I say that is because it gets kind of confusing. There's something else they do in this movie, which is, like... As the movie progresses, the cops almost start to look more and more just like the moped guys because they're going undercover and they're also acting even more sinister than the actual criminals are. Uh, but but anyway, the one shot that I was talking about with this either gangster or cop is he's looking up because he, he hears like a noise and there's just this big glob of blood just goes right onto his face and he just like starts to freak out and there's just once again just a lot of those sudden violent moments like like at any moment in this environment something awful uh could happen to you um and Mm -hmm. it and it really and we 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 won't
1: we won't spoil it but it has one of the um uh craziest deaths i think that occurs in a movie (laughs) this um featuring an umbrella (laughs) yeah dude um
0: that alone so, is worth watching the movie. that one part.:
1: <laughs> Yeah, it, it, the, the whole movie is just this, this so, such a sad, like existential and like surreal kind of crime film in its own way, even though the plotting, again, is, is, is kind of basic. It's the way that the filmmaking gets at the, the feelings of strangeness yep. and loneliness um, that really, really um, send it over uh, the, the, the top for me.: It's also
0: but like pretty raunchy. Which I which I found interesting, like like the uh, the one sequence where she like they're having this kind of intimate (laughs) moment on a boat and she spits out a certain fluid after the intimate (laughs) moment. And and there's also uh, a particular uh, sexual assault scene that's very just like very horrible. Like yeah. it's it's horrible, and it's it's the same way he shoots the violence. It's like it's just suddenly there on screen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it's
1: it's like cut to hard cut right, to and that and yeah, all.
0: and it's just so jarring, and it's it's it it really just it's it's a gut punch every single time he does it. Um, and it's it's a good, it's very effective. I will say it's it's. Yeah. Really well, and, and also
1: too the way that these characters like walk around, like the, the like decrepit architecture and stuff like that. And these yeah. like beautifully composed and sort of like lit images of these, you know, dilapidated buildings. You feel and, like you get you to know.
0: know the city really well in this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and, and then at how least the those lifestyle. feelings, how those feelings sort of like replicate in some of the sequences like the, the, the zoo shootout that takes place in the movie, for example, where again, it's a scene you've seen right. before <laughs> where the, the, the cops hunt down a guy. You think that they're going to go, Hey, put down your gun and he's going to, you know, uh, either, you know, shoot back or something's going to go wrong. Um, but the way that he films it is these series of sort of like um, intense close ups of both the artificial, um, you know, sort of like uh, set of, you know, sort of like the natural jungle and environments that the animals are staying in, and then cut to also the actual primal animals themselves, like the tigers and things like that. And you get this yeah. idea of like a real living, breathing thing living inside, you know, like this fake world, this artificial mm. world in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's kind of how you end up sort of feeling about these, these, these characters who are just wandering these broken structures. I mean, the whole movie is him trying to basically uh, claim his own reward on his own life because he realizes that he's more valuable to his um, wife dead. And he's just like, if, so if I can arrange someone to take me in and, you know, claim my, my, my life and then get the reward money and share it with my wife. Like that's what kind of what he hopes for, which is really, yeah. You know, sort of like sad idea just in general.
0: Yeah. To, yeah. But to again, use your own life as the means for, you know, gaining that money. Yeah. It's dark.
1: Yeah. And yeah, but and just it again, shows a desperation. The, the, the too. The, the way that he captures that in this almost sort of like avant-garde style that reminded me a little bit of kind of like, the slowness and the stillness of sort of like what Nicholas Winding Refn has been up to kind of since mm. Drive yeah for sure has it has a little bit of that quality to it as well um but yeah ultimately i was just really taken with how the genre thrills of this movie, of, of something like a noir, and something like the sudden bursts of of hyper violence, which are really nasty when they hit, but how it's drawn in all of these off kilter, you know, idiosyncratic like formal choices that make it feel very dreamy and almost mm. uncomfortable and lonely and isolating, like that Lynchian moment of the singing head in the Hall of Mirrors and things like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so strange. I, yeah, definitely, definitely. And it just it always has this feeling like these these people. People have nowhere really to go for any type of sanctuary. You really feel that. Um, Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Couldn't recommend it more.
1: Yeah. So if you want to check out a a very strange existential Chinese noir film, um, you know, the Chinese noir is kind of having a moment right now because I think last year I included. um, Hold on. What was that
0: one called? I think I know what you're talking about. I didn't check it out. Oh,
1: um, yeah. long day's journey into night yeah I still have to uh, watch one that. that. I, which was one that I included last year so there there there's a there's a clear movement kind of happening here in in among Chinese filmmakers and I think it's really worth paying attention to because this was just amazing
0: yeah hell yeah
1: it, it 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 uh it uh satisfied all of those uh violent and weird um combinations of kind of like Genre, not necessarily grind house, but like nastiness and yeah. art house. That I really love that, you know, sort of merging of the two. Yeah, me too. Which I think will actually also apply to both of our number ones as well oh, as beautiful. we get into it. Because I, I can tell by process of elimination what your number one is. <laughs> um, and mine is uh, one that Jamie already mentioned Bakurao. Yeah. Or Row. Um, which is one that has basically been my number one film of the year since I saw it at TIFF in September, 2019. Uh, as Jimmy mentioned, it is a, a, a completely bonkers movie that begins as sort of like a Brazilian social drama. Um, watching it at TIFF was such an amazing experience because it, w- it didn't play in the genre part of the festival. It didn't play in midnight madness. Oh. It, 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 it played in the world cinema category where you see a lot of, um, oh, okay. you know, foreign art house cinema.
0: How'd people uh, and react?
1: When I was watching it at TIFF, there was walkouts. Um, oh, hell
0: yeah. That's the best. That's what we want. Because so many people <laughs> went
1: into it and, and the movie is very convincingly, one kind of movie for a decent right. amount it's of like, its runtime. Just come you
0: know? in and get to know this culture. We're just some nice small town Brazilian people.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's almost like an independent poverty drama where it observes the rituals and conditions that, you know, these, these people sort of live in at the hand of their corrupt mayor, and yeah. it observes this community with, like, a western-inflected sense of of community. It's an ensemble film. There's no main character. You kind of just, you, you, you get into the personalities and, you know, sort of like the small-time drama of their community and, and the teacher and the doctor, and, you know, you get introduced to all these kind of different people but it's also done with a little bit of you know sort of a western inflected sense of you know you you get shots of the beautiful desert and the mountain vistas yeah. amongst these small character interactions and the location detail and this movie for this reason was a massive hit in brazil this was like a blockbuster oh nice um, in brazil for this reason
0: dude i want this to be our blockbusters are you kidding me that's wild yeah that's awesome yeah <laughs> they got good taste um,
1: yeah. And so it, it, it really just captures their local history and the procedures of everyday resistance, like the way that they organize themselves, where, you know, they've been cut off from water. So they, you know, repurpose sort of Mad Max style, like a gasoline truck to to carry water for them and bring them back and things like that. And slowly but surely a shift occurs. There's like there's again, there's there's some off kilter uh, tonal and formal details that sort of like signal it earlier in the film. But there's like a a Brian De Palma split diopter or like an old school sixties or seventies zoom that feels like it's straight out of a spaghetti Western or something. Right. Um, Yeah. And you start to realize that the film very slowly is transitioning into what is essentially a spaghetti Western splatter movie that is almost, that is still, um, you know powerful about its sense of community but also kind of funny and absurd yeah um, the, the way that it draws the Western characters as Jamie mentioned who you know are just a bunch of rich people from various European and North American countries who are paying to basically just genocide a fucking community literally yeah. wipe them off the map and their own country has basically like sold them out yeah. um, that that's why they've been wiped off the map because you know they've been uh, the it, it's revealed you know sort of later that you know like the mayor and other people in Brazil basically made to deal with them to kill their poor communities and and things like that and but as you watch it turn into like a John Carpenter sort of siege picture like assault on precinct 13 for sure as they do armed resistance it's so shocking and so surprising because again you were so lulled into this is a nice poverty drama to here's a man's face that looks smashed in like a kinder egg now
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i also love that that imagery they use very uh uh, kind of subtly, like it's only used a, a few times, but it, it's it's very, very focused on, which is the the drone that they're using is like a UFO kind of thing. So it kind of yes, has so this weird. sense of like an invasion or like these 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 white westerners that have come over to, to kill all these people are just so like they're like extraterrestrial aliens essentially because they're just so fucking evil um yeah I, well, I really and, and it's that. funny
1: too because they, they all have like very cartoony personalities a little bit too uh, like they're oh done yeah they're done they're done it's kind of like watching western characters done in that same cartoon way that like sometimes foreign villains can be done in other films yeah you know, from made in American films and stuff like that where they're just kind of like cartoonishly evil like Udo Kier shows up as like <laughs> a former Nazi yeah and uh, and which he just he's starts, always very good at playing it, and
0: he just starts killing like Everybody at one point, which is hilarious. Like he's just he, he doesn't seem to have any real sense of directed hatred. He's just like, "Fuck yes. everybody."
1: <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and I and I and I was just really taken with how that shift thematically really signals this idea that you know by going from a foreign class drama and then moving straight over into sort of like Western genre films while they're resisting Western characters. Yeah. It it, it feels like a culture adapting and weaponizing the language of the people who are hurting them, harming them. Um, and, you know, this includes, you know, references to things like Sergio Corbucci, like The Great Silence, or yep. Sergio Leone, like Duck, You Sucker. Uh, car- literally, there is unused uh, Carpenter score that appears in the movie.
0: Oh, nice. I didn't even um, know that. That's great. Yeah,
1: they. So the back half of the film, it just really deals with American, the, the sort of cinematic language of American and European genre sim- cinema, uh, which obviously is huge someone like me who's really into, um, you know, sort of like, again, I think they programmed a series of things that inspired them, but things they included are shit we've covered on this show. It was like great silence, uh, Southern comfort, wake and fright, long weekend, like bangers. These, (laughs) yeah, these dudes really know their, um, genre and exploitation, um, cinema history.
0: Yeah. And And the way that
1: they are like, what if we use that, for our own community and the way that it's so politically activated in, in the sense of resistance, especially to apparently the reason it's been a huge hit is because Brazil is not very stoked about their, uh, uh, prime minister or president that they have. Oh, now. Okay. Um, and that's a huge thing is that people have been apparently rowdy audiences have been shouting about the president. like oh, that's at awesome. screenings of it and shit like that. Like that's how amped it gets them because it's so in tune with just the community and the people. And again, uh, we're, we won't spoil it, but there is, One of my favorite sequences of just the entire year is a sequence that reveals their history and how, um, you know, because you you do wonder at a certain point, how could they be prepared to resist this level of sort of Western violence where they're coming in with weapons to kill them? And modern weapons.
0: Like, they they make a point that the Westerners have, like, earpieces in. They're using drones. Like, they have a very modern – they have the modern technology, whereas this village wouldn't obviously be able to afford that or even have access to it. So –
1: Yes. Uh, so, so the, the overall lesson I think is like when you choose a poor and marginalized community as the target of your violence, mm-hmm. you should maybe consider that maybe all of the precarious conditions that they have <laughs> already live in, maybe it makes them stronger. Maybe it makes them more resilient and maybe yeah. it's necessary. They might be more prepared
0: um, than you think
1: yes and holy shit we obviously we won't spoil it but like yeah. if you haven't it's seen awesome. this film <laughs> when this goes resistance mode it 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 almost goes like s craig zoller mode yeah, yeah. in certain one elements. of my
0: favorite shots is uh uh it's not a big spoiler it's just this awesome split diopter shot where one of the westerners is kind of like like looking around uh for for one of the brazilian people and and in the left side of the split diopter shot, you see a gun just slowly emerge from a floor panel. And it's just this I love the shot because it's just hyper focused on the Westerner who's looking. And then right in the background, you just see like death slowly approaching. And it's oh, it's great. I love it.
1: Dude. Yeah. There's so many great details we can't even get into. Yeah, don't yeah. have the time. But if, again, we did a bonus transmission where we talked about a lot of it, but like, again, this has like a Brazilian drag queen playing like their version of like a Che Guevara character yeah, yeah. Uh, in the film too.
0: Fucking um, awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. This is just modern exploitation, genre filming filmmaking for me at its most fun and political and idiosyncratic. And I just had a blast with this movie. And this is exactly the kind of stuff that I, you, you really want to see. Um, so that's why it was, um, my number one. And, um, I will, uh, let Jamie do his number one and then have a bonus surprise after Jamie's done his number one.
0: Beautiful. All right. Well, of course my number one is wonder woman, 1984 uh (laughs) no 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 we're not doing that uh it's possessor it's possessor (laughs) wonder woman was trash all right so damn it this was directed by uh brandon cronenberg uh had to do it to him uh and uh or or cronenberg jr you know little baby cronenberg and i gotta say uh, this is the only i think this is the only movie i've seen from him he does another one called uh antiviral have you seen that one
1: I have seen that one. I I um, okay. I I, I kind of liked it. I thought it was a curiosity. I I wasn't um, super impressed by it or anything. Okay. Though, sure. So this is definitely not in the same way I was with this.
0: Yeah, I feel like he's really putting uh, a little bit more of a personal touch on this. Like it, you definitely see his dad's influence. What with like the kind of the the guy struggling with with the the physical toll it's taking of switching bodies, getting used to your physical body, being completely uncomfortable with your physical body all of those Mm -hmm. ideas that Cronenberg or David Cronenberg puts into his movies are definitely here um there's something though about the way that there's like a real coldness I found to Brandon compared to David the way that he films the the corporation for instance like there's there a lot of the time they'll do something where it's at least you see you know kind of like 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 a, a full office or desks or something like that. The way that he films this corporation is just like black rooms with one or two tables. You know, like all the humanity has b- c- been completely stripped away from these people. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's something I found absolutely just. I, I just I just love that because what they're trying to do in this company is they're like we said they're using people to uh, take over other bodies to assassinate high ranking people, whatever whoever that may be. Uh, and in order to do that, they have to essentially strip away your emotion and humanity. Uh, and essentially the movie from the beginning to end is showing uh, Andrea's character um, basically lose that, basically lose all sense of her humanity, her attachments to her family, her friends, whatever it is, so that she can become the ultimate um, assassin. And it's like, y- y- you kind of... Yeah, because, because inhabiting
1: someone's body isn't as simple, like they they go... you walk you through the logistics of it where it's like, it's this painful device that like goes directly into your brain. But then also you, you have to be calibrated into the body. And then you also have to like do a performance. Like people will know if you haven't studied the mannerisms, if you haven't studied the character that you're playing and the way that they treat it, like she's doing, you know, like a stage performance, but Cronenberg never lets you lose sight of the fact that despite the fact that she is technically distanced from this body, he wants to get into the psychological intimacy of that experience and that's yep. why the violence is so messy how the, the ways that she she takes this experience of taking over someone's body and straight up murder viciously murdering people in someone else's body how that mm-hmm. comes back with her into her own body those experiences like the way that she thinks about that opening stabbing wound and blood spurting out of the neck everywhere and she she's thinking of that while she's like having sex with her husband at home yeah yeah and the way and the way that she has to train and rehearse her own voice because she got so into the character's voice that she was doing she's standing outside her own old house practicing her own uh, voice
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and and there's this detail and I don't want to spoil too much because like it, it is essential to the like the final scene in the movie but what they do to test their, like, humanity level to see that they're still back in the same brain, same person, is they have, like, five different items that are similar to uh, Inception where they kind of have something that's like, this is my my item. This is how I know I am I am who I am and I am where I am. Yeah, to uh, ground
1: my psyche back out into the world that right. I'm actually inhabit.
0: In and you see the corporation not only, you know, Use it as a way to keep the agents in line, but as as it progresses, you see that they're on purposely taking a, away certain emotional elements and ties to those items. They're they're they're, they're even literally
1: literally like programming their workers. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, even with things that they know to be uh, intimate them like mm. certain objects because i don't want to spoil it so i'm trying not to uh yeah to say the ending but it, it really ties in and i just just watch it so you can understand in full context um but uh uh something else i found interesting was his his thought on suicide and being like a part of that human being because as she gets into christopher abbott's body Uh, there's moments where she needs to to kill herself in order to get back. What
1: a performance from him, by the way. Oh, He has to play both himself and her inside his own body. He has to like both look like he's fascinated and uncomfortable and like looking at his body for the first time as an adult, but then also be so horrified by obviously all the very sticky, tangibly hallucinatory sequences of them like literally fighting over um, yeah. the, the body and, and stuff like that. I mean, obviously the, the famous shot from the poster where he is just wearing say. an Andrea rise like mask.
0: And it's just that loose skin. Like it's horrible. Like, it's, yeah. It's fitted enough where you you kind of get that semblance of, or that sense that, that he or she does, uh, still feel herself but it's loosening right like it's it's coming apart she like the skin is there she can still see herself but she's not quite sure of like the substance inside almost it's like why it's all like just completely loose skin you see like the eye holes are just kind of flapped open a little bit it's just it's you see Andrea but it's a completely unnatural version of her of, of course because it's like this mask yeah
1: I'm, I mean it, it's literally the act of possession but envisioned as, as like physical physical as a fucking like leather face mask
0: yeah Yeah. <laughs> that you wear yeah
1: um, which is a very cool visual very creepy visual very upsetting visual especially with <laughs> what he has to do to her to wear her as a mask which we or, won't spoil yeah or seeing Andrea
0: <laughs> with just a huge throbbing cock that was that was pretty <laughs> wild too Uh, because she's got to deal with, once again, it's like that, that that, like sex and of course leave it to the Cronenbergs to have to throw in like, what would sex be like while you're an assassin doing this? (laughs) Well, we have the answer for you. Uh, you know, she's just like staring down and, and and Andrea has a very like small build. So to watch her go from the top down and then just like the, the big Christopher Abbott penis, uh, and, and, and for her to kind of like, she's really struggling with that, but also... Kind of having a pleasurable moment with the girlfriend too. There's just a lot of things that are that are crisscrossing a little bit in her brain, uh, and you just feel the anxiety. Like this, this movie. Yeah. What part yeah. of the reason that it's my number one is that while I was watching it, I felt the horror. Like I, I really felt the anxiety that these people were going through, and even that. Like I was talking about the suicide, them having to struggle with that. Like put the gun in their mouth, and it, this happens multiple times, and they're just. It's like. You know, they've, they've gone a little too far. They, they feel too human and they just have a connection now in which they can't do it. Um, there's just something very stressful, very anxiety-ridden about that. And the whole movie is like that with, with varying elements that are very effective. Uh, and, and you get to, you know, watch Sean Bean get destroyed again for the like 50th time. I don't How many times has that guy just been brutally murdered in a movie? <laughs> it's, yeah, I, it's it, crazy. It is worth noting.
1: This has some of the most graphic violence that, you know, you'll probably see in a, in a, in a movie this yeah, year. It very has, bloody. Uh, uh, violence to eyeballs, like our good friend, uh, Lucio Fulci, um, violence against, uh, characters you might not expect to see graphic murder against, which we won't spoil, but like, this was really, really, um, disgusting movie in terms of that. And because yeah. it's done in that kind of clinical style too, I think, I think on the bonus transmission you brought up under the skin. Oh, but like oh, that yeah. Sequence where like yep. the meat gets pulled out of him and it's just his skin floating around in the, in the blackness and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: It's just like every um, part of you has been ripped away kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, like, imagine that, but also, you know, with done in sort of, like, a the a, a sort of psychologically fractured kind of style of filmmaking that involves sort of, like, carnage and going through memories. Like, yeah. like when he puts her mask on and he starts
0: seeing her memories and right. things like that. even gets to that point starts, where they have that really cool, it's, like, red and blue and purple uh, color on the screen. And it's, like, them stretching each other. Like, they're trying to fight to get... like control basically over the one body and so you kind of see this this weird psychedelic representation of them pulling apart from one another and and it's just it's very very vivid and and uh, a great way to kind of express that the physicality of what they're going through inside their brains
1: Definitely, definitely, and uh, there is a classic Cronenberg tearing prosthetic graphic effect <laughs> that takes place during that sequence.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, and, and I won't spoil anything, but we got an, another entry for "fuck them kids" cinema. So that's, that's fun true. too.
1: <laughs> that's true. Yeah, what a what a movie.
0: Crazy. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Number one for me. Hell
1: yeah! Well, those were both of our number ones there, and I have a surprise little twist at the end here. Beauty. I have I, I have a, a a a slight tie for the number one spot. Oh. For 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 something that I just really felt I needed to include and I, I couldn't figure out where I could put it on the list because it didn't really make sense. But I decided, you know what? This was something I really needed to give a shout out to. A little horror short film, actually, called Sun Gazer
0: directed by
1: a friend of the show, which might be a little bit cheating, uh, Perry (laughs) Rulland. Hell yeah. Um, I gotta watch this still.
0: I I have it actually on my webpage ready to rent. I just didn't... uh, I I haven't done it yet, so I'm excited. Yeah,
1: I thought thought about sending it to you last night, actually, to be like, maybe you should watch it before we do it. But I was like, you know what, I'll leave it as a surprise. Yeah. Um, I'm sure most of the people, you know, especially in the Discord who know Perry have probably already seen um, the film, but it is a uh, short... Um, eight millimeter little cosmic horror film done in this very grainy sun stroked style. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, it also has kind of like the silent film quality to it, this urban legend. Um, Perry, I know likes a lot of, you know, uh, uh, black and white silent film era horror. And he, he, he incorporates that, that into it and the super eight millimeter film, which is very grainy and very textured. Yeah. It's almost like the movie itself has a hard time, like capturing detail. It's almost, (laughs) uh, it's it's, it's obviously, it's not, it's not pixelated, but you get this feeling of, you know, the, the grain itself struggling to like hold the shape and and the detail of the movie, which he uses while he tells the story of a guy who, the reason I wanted to include this is because this is a character like Jamie and I, this guy just wants to look into the sun man. He (laughs) thinks that there's something there And he's, he's developing these glasses to be able to do it. And he thinks that he, you know, he's got all these drawings and pictures of, of this, of this dude who might live in the sun (laughs) and, uh, you know, he, he, he's got the goggles and he's got the drawings and there's all these superimposed, uh, sort of images of his earthly tools versus like the crude vision of, you know, what he's curious for, for. And yeah, the way that that all ends up combining into like this washed out surreal creature himself. And there's like this sort of eerie synth music that plays to it. Oh, cool. It was one of my favorite things that I saw this year. Uh, it, it, It itself is kind of just one sequence. So but like, my God, it had a lot of strange beauty to it. uh, it has an insane ending where you (laughs) and the character are just swallowed into just this unbearable, harsh, um, flickering reality that uh, honestly, I thought it was the reason it's tied for number one is I thought this was the most Lovecraftian thing that actually came out this year. This had more, um, cosmic fear of the unknown than even color out of space did.
0: Very cool. Um, and
1: the way that he messes with sight and, and, and the way that he's disruptive with both your, your vision and your hearing, which fair warning to anyone who can't handle like strobe effects and stuff, <laughs> uh, you got to watch out uh, for this. But yeah, as for uh, a character that I sort of empathized with in a weird way, a dude who just really wanted to look into the abyss because he was curious and suffered the consequence for it. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's something that our show very, very much um, re- relates to. <laughs> for so, sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah,
0: I'll have to check it out. Uh, maybe I'll check it out uh, tonight, actually. I-, I was meaning to. I just uh, I didn't get a, a chance. And then I-, I think I saw that you might have been putting it on your list. So I was like, okay, well, at least somebody's going to be shouting it out because I've heard nothing but good things. Everyone that I follow on Letterboxd has it at really high ratings, so I'm I'm really excited to check it out, Perry.
1: Hell yeah. If you like a uh, creepy textured, beautiful little horror film about vision and curiosity and looking at the great beyond, definitely look look Sounds great. into this one. And, and I was very taken with it inspired by it in uh twenty twenty. So I felt like it, it needed a, a shout here. Hell at yeah. Alright, is that it? Did we do it? We did it. We did oh, it. Oh my god, okay. Those were the best genre films from the year 2020 uh
0: it's a watch fuck
1: off <laughs> yeah uh, fuck
0: off 2020 <laughs> we out
1: <laughs> we're we're moving on we put that shit to bed let's hope we get um, to watch
0: james ho- bond this year baby
1: Hopefully, you guys—you um, know—got uh, her- to hear about a couple films for the first time, or saw some of your faves uh, yourself represented here. Um, we're gonna—we're gonna move on. It's time to go into twenty twenty one. That's um, right. Hopefully, movies uh... start coming out again, and the world returns to a little bit of normalcy and uh, we can plug in some of the episodes we had planned this year that we had to push back because yeah. we <laughs> planned them around new release movies. <laughs> um, personally, I'm still very, very sad that we didn't get a new Top Gun this year.
0: Oh, I um, know. It's happening, though. Happening.
1: We're, we're, we're going to get there. Well, thanks thanks to everyone for obviously listening to, to the show. We had a lot of growth in 2020, and we've had a lot yeah. of growth over the last just three years in general. We're obviously very... Um, grateful this is very much absolutely so. insane that we you know get to do this and that there's so many people who are uh, interested and in, and in tagging along um with us we hope to see you guys uh through the rest of 2020 we got lots of stuff planned i mean next oh, yeah. week we're just resuming right back to regular scheduled programming we're gonna have um an episode on uh john le Carre, who uh recently uh, passed away. He was obviously the very um, well-known uh, spy thriller uh, author. Did a whole bunch of really amazing books involving the character George Smiley, and uh, lots of filmmakers have taken a stab uh, at at his work because they love his books so much. So, we're going to be talking about um, for the bonus episode next week the spy who came in from the cold by Martin Ritt. And we're also going to be talking about, uh, from 1990 starring Sean Connery and Michelle Pfeiffer, the Russia house. Yeah. Um, both of which are kind of uh, cold war, um, thrillers with, um, you know, in, in done in, in, in his, uh, typical fashion where he's kind of the anti bond author.
0: Yeah, yeah. As
1: someone as someone who 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 really uh, worked for MI six, he's like spycraft is a lot of paperwork <laughs> and mundane sitting there's, around and a lot horrible less,
0: existential crises. Yeah, a lot less <laughs> sex and jetpacks than you think there is. Everybody.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's what we're going to be talking about uh, next week, and then uh, the week after. We are going silent era film mode, something that's going to nice. tie in a little bit to Sun Gazer. We're actually going to talk about one of Perry's favorite films of all time, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and I think a movie that uh, slightly inspired him. And then we're going to be talking about Robert Weiss's other film, uh, The Hands of Orlock, which I cool. haven't seen uh, personally, but these are both silent era films by the same filmmaker and are both uh, horror films. So, killer. We're going to have a fun time going, go in silent mode, go into the 1920s. It's 2021. Yeah, well, we're going to 1921. <laughs> I don't even right. know if that's, <laughs> I don't even know if that's when one of them came out, but same. we're going to hope we're, we're, we're literally going 100 years ago, which is insane when you think about it.
0: Yeah, it is. It's, it's awesome. Is it, is that our um, first, uh, silent too, you said?
1: Yeah. It's going to be the first silent because, uh, we've done thirties, uh, which is sort of like the beginning of sort of like the talkies. Yeah. I think M is, uh, one of the oldest that we've, we've done and, uh, the black cat and stuff like that as well. Right, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, we know we, we haven't done, um, twenties, which is when most of the silent era stuff, uh, is from. So we're going to be diving in for the first time with a special guest. But that being said, I think that'll wrap it up for everything uh, this week. Thanks, as always, guys, for listening. And you know the drill. Keep it sleazy.
0: Keep it sleazy.